Welcome to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party with my dad and my sister Mary. This is good rhythm. That's not that rhythm. I That's... got going. Okay. Well, this rhythm. This. Here we go. <laughs> Hi everyone. Welcome to listening party. Hope you're enjoying my rhythm. That it's bad. I was think anyway. So, so today um, we're listening to Dad's um self-titled album. <laughs> self-titled album. Yeah, David Dedrick. <laughs> David Dedrick sings. Cause destruction. Hey everyone. Welcome to the listening party. My name is David Dedrick. And my name is Mary Dedrick. And this week. It's my birthday today, actually, that we're recording this I was going to say happy birthday. Oh, sorry. I was going to say it. Oh, sorry. Aw. Let me just, just step back a bit. Okay. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sticky Dragon. My name is David Dedrick. And my name is Mary Dedrick. And, again, and everyone... I have one thing to say. <laughs> okay. What's that, Mary? Happy birthday, Dad. <laughs> oh, thanks, dear. I have not yet said that to you because I wanted to say it on the show. Oh, that's true. I hadn't, that's... Even, hadn't even occurred to me. No. They hadn't said it to me. I had said it to you. I was joking. I said because... it as soon as I saw you this morning. Oh, that's true. You did. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it's funny how little, no, I shouldn't say little, because, you know, growing old is, is of course, a, a great thing to get to do. But it's funny how it, the importance of it diminishes as mm. you get older. I think, yes, but <laughs> I do think that as I'm someone who is currently working with seniors. Yeah. And I think that I do not know when this point happens, but I believe that there is a point where it flips. And okay. birthdays become very exciting again. Ah. Because... Now you're 98 and you never <laughs> thought that you would get to 98. Yeah. And yeah. we actually have one resident who just turned 98 the other day. She got happy birthday sung to her three separate times mm -hmm. at chapel at lunchtime. And then also by, we have a group of um, high schoolers that comes in once a month okay. for, to like play games with the, with the residents. All right. And they sing her happy birthday as well. <laughs> huh. um, so that was great. But she is 98 and she still participates in all the activities. She's part of a like daily um, gin rummy group that plays yeah. gin rummy every, every afternoon. Okay. Just about. She um, has like, she's so like mentally aware and like very like physically capable as well like she uses a walker but every, mm. so does everyone yeah <laughs> um but she's yeah she's not like in an e-chair yet she can still move around she um and yeah she can still like play games and like contribute and she's like she doesn't have any that i've seen like signs of like memory loss or mm. anything so wow. she's doing her. great yeah so for her being 98 is like being 98 and also being like in such good condition is like whoa this is fantastic Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, that's pretty lucky. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, maybe when you're 98, it flips. Yeah, I guess so. That's the age. Maybe. <laughs> At that point, you're just like, eh, yeah. another year. <laughs> another um, year older. But yeah, also when residents turn 100, mm -hmm. at my work, we uh, do a big birthday party. Oh. We don't have anyone turning 100 this year, unfortunately. Okay. But we had one resident turn 100 last year. Oh. And you know what? What's that? She still comes to exercise class. That's good. Yeah, she'll be 101 this year. And she still comes to exercise class. All through exercise and clean living. Yes. Yes. One of the one of the um, other like team member, one of the other staff was telling me that she was um, into exercising before it was cool. Okay. And so she's still like for her to still be able to go to exercise is like like a part of who she is. Sort hmm. of. So that's cool. 
Cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. And so, and today you were telling me that you took the dogs to to the dog park. I did. Just because I was still finishing up the show notes. Yes, because at 8.30 this morning, I was awake in bed, and I was just on my phone, and I got a text from Dad that said, come over this morning. Come over as soon as you can. (laughs) We're going out this afternoon. Me and Mom are going to Vancouver, so we need to come as soon as possible. I didn't quite say that. So I texted back immediately. I was like, okay, I'll get dressed right now, and I'll come right over. (laughs) And then I got here, and Dad said, oh, hey, Mary, I still have an hour of of, um, recording to do. Notes. Or of notes to do. Yeah. And I was like, Dad, it takes me like an hour to drive here. (laughs) So why... Why did you text me? Why did you text me that? <laughs> well, I just I didn't know what time you were planning to come. Right. And then you had said you might come morning or afternoon, and so I was just thinking morning would be better. Okay. And I guess it had the inadvertent uh, <laughs> terseness of a text you send to someone who makes it sound like it's more important than it is. <laughs> you don't realize when you're just writing. So I was it. like, oh, they're probably going to be leaving at like one p.m. <laughs> it usually takes us like eight hours to record these. So I should get over there pretty soon. Um, well, yeah, after last week's. Or last episode's four-hour marathon. <laughs> I didn't want to... You I know, was talkative last week. You were very talkative last week, to, and that's that's say. okay. Um, and I had a lot of notes, too. Let me just see what I said. Hey, could you please come to record this morning? Mom and I are planning on going into town in the afternoon. I guess that's... I don't think it like, has quite the sound of where I was like... There's no... There, and like, to be fair to myself, there are no capital capitals in the text right but you did put eight exclamation marks it, eight <laughs> exclamation mark. it has 14 question marks <laughs> so anyway so, so you went to the dog park so i got here and yeah. i i brought scout my yeah. dog because uh duncan is still a, or no he's still away he was away when we recorded last time that's he'd, right he just left the day before mm-hmm. i think he was in um Brazil for a week and Argentina for a week. Okay. Because his brother is doing a semester abroad there. So he's coming back tomorrow, which is very exciting. And um, so I brought Scout because she's alone all week when I'm at work and she's not really used to that. So yeah. I was like, I yeah. don't want to just keep leaving her at home. So I brought her. And so when dad said, I'll be ready in an hour, I was like, well, I guess I can bring her to the dog park then because she hasn't been out today because I came here, you know, straight away because dad had said it was so important <laughs> for me to get here. And, um, and I was like, oh, I'll bring Al too, you know, because he likes going out to the dog park. But I forgot how Al is a terrible dog. <laughs> He's like a really bad dog. Yeah. Well, okay. I, I guess he doesn't ride in cars very much. Mm. So the whole car ride, he was crying. He's like whining. Which is super annoying. And then yeah. because he's whining the whole time, Scout gets all amped up. Uh. Then she's like whining too. And then she starts trying to like <laughs> hump him in the back seat. And then because she's trying to hump him, he tries to like jump into the front seat. And so I have to like have my elbows like yeah. pushing them back into the back seat and like yelling at Scout to stop <laughs> humping him. And so I like rolled the windows down so they could be like distracted by smelling things outside. Yeah, yeah. So I was like driving in this freezing cold car in the rain <laughs> with the windows open so the stupid dogs would stop being <laughs> jerks. And and then I got to the dog park. Yeah. And I parked and that's we, all you did. You just drove away then. You're like, yeah, I was like, I've, is, I've dog like, These parked. These dogs do not deserve to go to the park. <laughs> I wish. Um, so we have trained Scout yeah. to stay in the back seat of the car. And I could get out of the car, open the back door, mm-hmm. 
And she would just, and even though she's like so excited to go to the dog park, yeah. she would just stand there whining at me until I told her, okay, get out of the car. Yeah, yeah. She would just stand there. Al does not have that. I totally forgot. <laughs> so I got out of the car and um, I was like, I leaned over and grabbed my jacket because it was raining. Yeah. And, um, and then when I was doing that, he jumped into the front seat and yeah. then jumped out of the car and ran away. Oh. I was like, what? What are you doing? <laughs> so then I was trying to like grab this dog and then I grabbed him. And then I was like, I made him or I was holding him between my legs, which yeah. I do with Scout. Yeah. And she will just stay there. And he like wiggled while I was trying to like detangle like their leashes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he like ran away again. And I was like, oh my God. And oh, so I was at like, that moment, just let him. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's what I. That's what I did. So I was like, okay, well, whatever. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, like I'll just grab Scout then. So I let Scout out, and I was like, okay, Scout, come on. And usually she'll just like go right to the dog park gate. Mm-hmm. But this time, because Al was there, she like ran over and jumped on him and started <laughs> humping him. And I was like, oh. <laughs> So we're like in the in the parking lot. We haven't even gotten into the dog park yet. And they're already being so bad. I was like, I'm so lucky that there's no one in the dog park. But there was someone in their car, like waiting to drive out of the dog park. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, I'm so sorry. These dogs are terrible. <laughs> and I look like such a bad dog owner. <laughs> oh. So then I like, I was like, scout. And she was like, oh. And she like looked at me and I was like, get over here. And then she like came over and then she like, I got her to come and sit by the gate. And then I like put her into the little space. So when you go to an off leash dog park, there's like a gate and then another gate yeah. so that you can like, you know, get your Decompress. dog. Decompress. Decompress. Exactly. So you can get your dog like leashed or unleashed or whatever. Yeah. And so I just like threw her in there and then I went and got Al and then I let I let her and let them both in there. And then Scout immediately jumped on him again and started humping him. And so I grabbed Scout. I pulled her off. And I was like, stop that. <laughs> and these people were like sitting in this car watching me. And I was like, oh, my God. I look like I'm abusing these animals. <laughs> I was like, ugh. And well, so don't worry. They're just drug dealers waiting for people to drive off. And no, get it was like an old them. guy. Yeah. They're drug dealers just waiting for people to come and get drugs. Okay. I guess so. And... Actually, when I was there, there was, um, when I was leaving, there were yeah. two cars beside each other who I think the one guy was selling a stereo system to the other guy. Okay. And I was like, wow, this is the most like, like selling your, selling a stereo out of the back of your car to another person in their car. Like, I don't know. Um, but yeah. And then the whole time that we were at the dog park, they were just like attacking each other and being like really like vocal and terrible. And also they got really muddy because it was raining. And so now they're locked downstairs because I hosed them off. Yeah. And they didn't like that either. So <laughs> so anyway, I'm leaving Scout here. And she's yours now. Al um. <laughs> has corrupted her. Yes. <laughs> he's, he's a virus. He's yeah, like a dog virus. She only behaves like that with him. Yeah. She doesn't behave like that with anyone else. Even with Pedro, yeah. who she also wrestles with she doesn't like constantly jump on him and hump him and growl at him like with them they're like very they're much more subdued wrestling yeah and pedro will like lie on the ground and scout will grab his collar and drag him around the room <laughs> while he like lies on his back like whoa he's big i know he's a really big dog he's probably like 100 pounds <laughs> it's not that he's big he's just chunky he's, he's like, like this yeah he's like he's very um he's very heavy oh my gosh He's like the heaviest dog. He's like a slug that's grown legs. He is like a slug that's grown <laughs> legs. It's true. Yeah. That well, for people who don't know, Pedro is Duncan's parents' dog. Yeah. He's a chocolate lab, an English style chocolate lab, which okay. is important. All right. They're very different. Yeah. Um, They're more milk chocolate. 
than dark chocolate. No. Well, they're more. They're both the same color, but yeah. they, American, they have a higher sugar percentage than the, a Canadian chocolate true. has a higher wax percentage. Yes. The American style ones tend to be uh, more life. Oh, okay. And the English style ones tend to be more chonk. <laughs> so he is definitely of the chonk variety. He is very And chonk. we always make fun of him for being very chonk. <laughs> and then um, Duncan's dad gets very sad and says that he's breed standard. And then we're like, well, breed standard is chonk then. <laughs> yeah. He is chonk. He's, he's a chonky dog. Yeah. Okay. So that's the that's our dog cast. Thanks for coming. We'll uh, see you guys in, in two weeks, I guess. We'll be back again with our... Uh, I guess just stories of dogs. Dogcast. Yeah, that's what I said. Dogcast. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize. No. Oh, Is that sorry. what it's called? Dogcast. Yeah. Hmm. You said it too. Yeah, I know, but I, I'm not sure if I like it now. <laughs> because I said it. That's called. <laughs> for that reason, <laughs> it just seems like everyone would call it that. So, oh. how about off the leash? Yeah, that's good. You like that one, or how about yeah. how about uh, collared? I don't know if that has anything to do with it being a podcast okay it's off the leash doesn't matter. how about how about the dog pound but we'll spell it t-h-a and with two g's that dog pound that okay i was on board and then now then i wasn't on board <laughs> anymore <laughs> i think that's actually the group that said who who let the dogs out or whatever it's called oh is it yeah oh hmm. so know. it's weird because they they're the dog pound so they let the dogs out Right. Well, no, they're not. They were supposed to be keeping the dogs in. <laughs> and they're like, how'd these dogs get out? Now we have to go get these dogs. That's right. And we, then they're like... Oh. all these dogs. And then they're like, oh, now we have to like bring these dogs back yeah. to the pound. And then we have to like, you know, pay for their food and then their, and their boarding costs. Yeah, yeah. And we have to do a bunch of laundry and mm. feed them and exercise them. And Well, you, you know. have too much knowledge about how pounds Well, work. no, exactly. That's But that's why they're upset about it. <laughs> they're like, who let all these ding-dang dogs out? Because now it's our job to go and take care of them. Because people can't take care of their pets. That's people good. like me... That's he exactly brings my dog to the dog park about. and he jumps right out of the out of the car and runs away. <laughs> oh my goodness. I just mean that's just grounds for just leaving Al behind and just like forget about just it. Just abandoning him? Writing, I was very close to And then to driving home that. and writing an email and saying, Sorry, I'm not gonna do Sneaky Dragon listening party anymore and also I don't know where Al is. <laughs> 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 well yeah because the other thing was i um when i got back yeah eve was home okay and i was like oh eve um got home and al wasn't there mm. and i was like oh she didn't like text or anything so i guess she got home and saw al wasn't there and was just like whatever <laughs> all right <laughs> guess we don't have al anymore <laughs> There was no like, there was no like message to the group, the family group chat. Like, hey, does anyone know where Al is? Or like, is Al? Yeah. Did he run away? Like, what's up? She was, she just accepted it yeah. very easily. Yeah, because so, who who would miss him? It's true. And that's that's a lesson for everyone out there. Don't be an owl. Yeah. Don't well, be unmissed. Don't be so. Don't be so easily missed. Duncan and I used to about. used to joke that um, Al is just so like complacent mm. that. If someone else brought him home from the dog park, he wouldn't even notice. He would just like continue living his life like yeah. he's normal. Yeah. He would just like get up at 5 a.m., whine for food, get food, go to sleep for six hours, yeah. whine, start whining for food from 2 o'clock to 5 o'clock, yeah. Yeah. go back to sleep until 5 a.m., yeah. you know? Just that's, uh, that's would not notice you any sum, difference. You summed up admirably. Yeah. So, Mare. Yes? I guess we should get on with our 
since I have some I have some plans for today because it's oh, my, okay. my birthday day. Oh right, it is. Yeah, I forgot we taught we introduced the show with that. <laughs> so did I say happy birthday already? You did say happy birthday. Oh okay, I, good. Thank good, you, good. thank you for that, dear. So, um, it my, I don't want to give people the idea that I'm complacent about my birthday. Mm-hmm. I'm no L about my birthday. <laughs> I my birthday is very valuable to me just because you know. I wasn't expected to make it past twenty-five, right? And yet here I here I am. We're all very happy about half that. a well. You better be half <laughs> half a lifetime later. I'm yes. I'm here still. So no, it's fantastic. Um, so this this mix, Mary, we talked about last time was done for. So a, wait, hold on. Yeah. What were you? You were saying all this stuff about how you weren't complacent about your birthday, mm-hmm. and then you just wanted to talk about the music. Well, what do you want to talk about? I thought you were like leading up to something, talking about what you're doing today on your birthday. Oh, I could talk about that if you want. I'm... No, no, it's fine. I just I thought that you were like building up to something, and then you were like, <laughs> forget it. And then no, no, my building up to is the fact that it's my birthday today, so I want to get the oh. show out of the way. Oh, even though gotcha. I do enjoy doing this, is a super pleasure to me yes. that you're here. And we're talking yep. about music together, but also, but you can't wait to leave me behind <laughs> and go to, to Vancouver. And we're going to get together tomorrow for birthday oh, dinner. Right. Don't that's forget true. that. That's true. But but um. It doesn't work today because you wanted to bring Duncan and Duncan is, is out of town. Yes. Till tomorrow. So that's why things got changed. Pushed. But that's okay. Yes. Because today I'm going to go into Vancouver and go into the art gallery. Yeah. Okay. Vancouver cool. art gallery. Nice. And I'm going to go see uh, uh, just, uh, a, uh, what do you call it? A show. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, a Cindy Sherman show that's there. And okay. See someone I've, I've liked a lot as an artist for a long time. She's a photographer. Oh, okay. That cool. does, um, she'll do kind of... Uh, these, oh, it's uh, like a collection at the. Yeah, it's a collection okay. at the art gallery, and it's uh, of her work. And sh- what she does, it's hard to explain exactly, but she she is a model in her own photographs. Oh, okay. And they're often sort of oblique photographs of her, and they'll they'll have a feeling like that you're looking at, say, like a noir film. Oh, okay. And she's like a person in this movie that she's done. Okay, interesting. And she's done that her whole life since she was young hmm. to now. Cool. And uh, so I'm very curious, and I've seen a lot of her early work. I've never seen her later work, so. I'm really curious, and I've just been a, been interested in her for a long time. Cool. Despite despite the mockery in Tom uh, Wolfe's book, Tom Tom Wolfe, the writer's book, the painted word that sh- uh, about her work, I mm. think I think it bears. You know, there's some value to conceptual art, mm-hmm. and I think that uh, it's an interesting concept that she's taken and done her whole her whole life. Right. So cool. yeah. So you, I'm interesting to see. So you're I'm seeing that at the art gallery? Seeing that at the art gallery. Are you doing anything else? We're going to go have some dinner. Okay, nice. Don't know where. Okay. We'll figure that out. Yes. And then we're going to go see Patton Oswalt tonight. I know that because oh. I bought the tickets. Oh, you bought the tickets for it. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, thanks very much. Mom was like... I was wondering how Mom... that got done. <laughs> Mom texted me when I was at work and said, do you think dad would like to see Patton Oswalt? And I was like, yeah, probably. And she's like, okay. Can you buy the tickets? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a few people that are coming to town for the... This is for the Just for Laughs. Okay. Uh, Northwest, which is going on right now in cool. in uh, Vancouver. So we've had a, quite a few, like uh, Maria Bamford had a show. Oh, did she? It's been really, really, really good to see. Oh, yeah. Um, and then Ron Funches, another community I like mm-hmm. quite a bit, yep. had a show here. So yeah, like, so there's been some good mm. good acts. Oh, I wish I'd known Maria Bamford was in town. Mm-hmm. She had a show at The Vogue. Oh, cool. Which apparently was very chatty. The audience was a very chatty audience, Oh, hmm. which isn't so great. No. But the opening act was, um, now her name's got out of my mind. Sorry, I can't think of her name. Who? Too... What does she do? She's a local, uh, she's a local comic, and the reason oh, I brought okay. her up is because we used to see her when she would perform at the Prop House. Oh, okay. Katie Ellen Humphreys. Oh, okay, cool. She, I don't think you were there for one show where she came up on stage and then she immediately got on stage and she complimented Eve for her her jacket. No, I was there for that one. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was the jacket that Eve got at Top Shop in London. That's right. Yep. And it's kind of like a. 
like giraffes giraffes and things like sort of like a like a, it's almost like it would be a tropical yeah. jacket except that it has unlike tropical jackets they wouldn't have the explorers wouldn't be wearing like prints of with elephants and yes. other animals on yeah. them it seemed really strange yeah very meta Yes, very mad. This is what I'm looking for. What are you looking for? <laughs> it's right on my jacket. <laughs> they're like, they like see one. They like look at their sleeve. They're like, they like look up at the the giraffe. They like look back at their sleeve, back at the giraffe, <laughs> back at their sleeve, back at the giraffe. They're like, that's a giraffe. <laughs> that's the one. I knew I'd find it. Mark off on their jacket. <laughs> like, check it off. It's like a scavenger hunt. <laughs> and they're like, oh, this elephant's on my shoulder. It's going to be hard to confirm it. They're like looking I'd also over check their it. shoulder. <laughs> What's on my very back? A lion. You think I put that on my front? Well, I, this is the most dangerous creature. <laughs> that, no, that's I'm not going to be sure. No, because the lion reminds me that you also have to watch your back when you're uh, in the jungle. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Just turn your jacket inside out. Uh, that's no help either, sir. <laughs> All right, so... I'm going to go on to the mixtapes. Oh, right, right. Yeah, sorry. So the reason we do this show is that uh, we listen to mixtapes that I did for Sneaky Dragon listeners. Yes, yep. A number of years ago now. Uh-huh. Four years ago, to be exact. Yes. Although this one's three years old. This came from, uh, I think I did this one in 2016. In fact, I know I did it in 2016. I can't remember what month it was. Mm-hmm. I could look that up on my, in my... Um, no, no, it's fine. In my database really thingy care. that I put together okay. at the time yes. of what songs I'd done. Right, just to make sure I didn't repeat things, so I made like a list of songs that I did and Makes when sense. I and when I did and then I also started recording when I would finish these. I didn't do it at the beginning, which was dumb of me, but I started doing it afterwards. Uh so Live and Live and Learn. Live and Learn, that's been my or Live and Not Learn, which is my lifetime motto. Yes. I prefer to live my life uh-huh. and take no lessons. Oop, and to take no lessons and also make broad gestures and hit microphones. <laughs> Those are all important to me. Yeah. I mean, I was doing a, like a lot of physical comedy on that checking the sh- the jacket for giraffe's bit, yeah. which you know, did not translate very well, but you that's know. true. You, you were doing. I physical. mean, I was trying to like vocalize. But also, it as well you were as I could, you but... were also deaf deft enough to not hit your microphone. Unlike yes, me. Yes. Well, you know that'll be later. So, uh, boy. So anyway, this mixtape, Mary. Yes. Which I did for Mike Davidson, mm-hmm. who I hope I'm not going to give. I hope I'm not giving away stuff, but he is a veterinary ophthalmologist. Okay. Which takes me as a very specific thing to do. Yes. To look after the eye eyesight of animals. Yep. And also to make glasses for them. Um, I don't it must know be about very that, difficult to convince but... them to wear. <laughs> and also some animals, like you'd take an otter. Uh-huh, yes. Would be very, you'd have to put goggles because it'd be very difficult. A, they swim, mm. likely to lose their glasses. Uh-huh. And also they don't have much of a profile. So how the glass is going to sit, perch on their nose. No, you're They're making not. some valid points here. So... Do you have to say an otter and goggles would be adorable? <laughs> yes, it would. And, and yeah. So there you go. So, and... Uh, he was a completely Beatles listener who came to Sneaky Dragon. Mm-hmm. Cool. But I'm going to assume... That he likes the Beatles? That he likes the Beatles, but also that he no longer listens to the show. Oh. Because he didn't respond to us doing the mixtape last night, or last week, or last episode. And most people mm-hmm. have responded to their to when we started right. doing the mixtape. Okay. That were still that are still a part of our... Sure. You know, whatever, in the orbit of Sneaky Dragon. Right. Which is sad, but that's his life, right? I mean, to be fair, I don't think that there's any podcasts that I've listened to for more than four or five years. Yeah. You know? And that's what I, I think that's normal. And so yeah. I'm always sad when people leave mm-hmm. because I'm incredibly possessive. Right. But also, uh, no, it is sad because I feel like it's like a little family of people that I like to hear from. Right. You know? Yeah. And so like our listeners are super important to me in that mm-hmm. way. Maybe he listens to Sneaky Dragon still, but doesn't listen to Listening Party. That's possible. Yeah. But anyway, Mike, miss you. So, uh. <laughs> Dad's feeling very emotional on his birthday. It's right. Well, no, I just feel that way about everyone. Yeah. That's not, true. It's not like, you know, it's not like listeners are more important than others. They're obviously, you know, everyone has different 
rankings in my in my special database of listeners. Well, yeah, of course, obviously. I'm joking. I don't have a database <laughs> listeners, but uh, yeah, this is yeah. Anyway, you know what I mean, Mayor. Yes. Possibly, mm-hmm. it was getting these mixtapes that made him stop listening to Sneaky Dragon. He oh, like, probably. These are ridiculously bad mixtapes. Yeah, that's probably it. So, which I disagree with, Mike. But you know, you're welcome to think. I that. mean, you just made up that that theory, so don't go blaming him for. Well, it just goes along with my usual theory, which is if someone doesn't write to me for like a while, I immediately assume they're mad at me. Well, yeah. And then I get feeling bad, and then I don't want to talk to them, yeah. or call them, or contact them because mm-hmm. I I just feel like I've I've disappointed them in some way. Right. But you haven't reached out to them. No, but vice versa. I'm always around. You could call me. Yeah, but you could call them too. Yeah, but you know, I don't want to bother them. Okay. (laughs) All right. So what's the first song on this second side of the mix, Dad? Welcome to Anxiety. (laughs) Uh, The first song on the second side of this mix, Mary, is by a band that's dear to both of us. Yes. It's Stereolab. Yeah. From their album Emperor Tomato Ketchup. And this song is called Percolator, and let's give it a listen. Let's hear it. Direction et allez loin. 
All right, Mary. So that was Emperor. To, uh, well, sorry, I was going to say that was from Emperor Tomato Ketchup, the yes. song percolated by by our uh, band that we like a lot, as we said. Uh, Stereo Lab from 1996. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Mary, what did you think of this song? I love this song. You love this song? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's a very good song. Yeah. Um, I also, my notes for this song. Yes. Oh, we got your notes. Said. Yes. Yeah. Love with yeah. two exclamation marks. That's important. I said love songs that they're sung in French. Yes. And I also said I love that one squawky instrument sound. And then I put quote wah 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 end quote. <laughs> which reading now I was like, what did I mean? But then when you were saying wah 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 wah, I was like, oh yeah, that that's exactly it. Yeah. So yeah. I love that sound. Yes, it's really great. It's it's um a curious track. It's yeah. It's very. Uh, it's simultaneously really complicated and also really simple. It's hard to explain. Mm. It has a really kind of clean sound to it. But what people are doing in the song is very complicated. Like the bass part in the song is like really demanding. I think that's right. whole like like just doing that. I'm pretending to play the bass and I'm getting sore fingers. And why do you love uh, when Stereo Lab sing in French? Um, because it's beautiful sounding. Okay. And you have the opposite opinion of French than Eve, then, which is that it's not beautiful sounding. Yeah, I should well, like the sound of French. I think people talking in French is not very nice sounding. Oh, really? But I think that people, I think that Stereo Lab singing in French is very beautiful. Okay. Um. Yeah. Hmm. Uh. Yeah. I, well, I like it too, and I, but I guess I like it partly because it's nice sounding, but also that it kind of opens the band up to other influences, which I think is really great. Like, if you listen to their early stuff, it's fairly minimal sounding. Like, you can tell that they really like the Velvet Underground, Mm -hmm. and you can tell that they're kind of originating at the same time period as other, what I would call shoegaze bands from that time period, like My Bloody Valentine and Lush and sort of bands like that, Ride. Mm -hmm. And, but it seems like it wasn't very long for them before they were really like opening themselves up to other influences, like Easy Listening, you know, became a part of the band sound and then Kraut okay. Rock kind of comes into their sound. Right. Which you can really hear on Metronomic Underground from this album. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and I think, you know, like, well, I think particularly like meeting uh, Sean O'Hagan, who had played in a group called Micro Disney and then had had, was then, had just started a group called the High Llamas when he, when he met Stereolab. And when they lost their key, original keyboard player, he was asked to fill in which he did, and then they asked him to join, which he did, which was really strange because he had just started his own band. But I guess he was really enjoying what they were doing. And so I think he stayed for at least three albums, or at least two albums anyway, because he was on um, Ambient, I think Space Age Bachelor, I think it's called. Um, it's I love Stereo Lab very much. Yeah. I find it hard to remember a lot of their song titles and album names. Because they're, they're just a series of like <laughs> funny-sounding words put together. Yeah. And they don't really have any meaning they don't really like relate to the lyrics very much usually that's true, that's true. um like i think that they're great they're usually very good sounding yeah. but um yeah yeah hard to remember that is true and yeah like um no i i well i guess um i'm just trying to look it up i'm sorry everyone that i'm i'm hemming and hawing here because oh darn it I did. I did have it there, and then I. Well, that's I why lost I was it. trying to vamp by talking about Stereolab's titles, and then you were like, <laughs> you were like lifting up your phone, like, no, I got it. You can stop vamping. Oh, I was actually trying to lift it up to get the Wi-Fi because uh, oh, the Wi-Fi is so weak now. Oh, sorry. Actually, Wi-Fi is better than it used to be. I shouldn't say it's weak. It used to be very, very terrible, but it's gotten better. Um, 
Yeah, so he was on Transient Random Noise Bursts with Announcements. How could I forget that name? Yeah, right. Why, why would I forget that name? And then he was on Mars Audiac Quintet. Okay. Which is like, to me, their first of their like great albums. Like before that, I think they're okay. But it's more like every song is just like kind of grinding electric guitar with, with, uh, with uh, Letitia Sadje singing over it. Mm-hmm. And it's so okay. But it's when you get to Mars Audiac Quintet. Where the sound opens up more, and then there's more like then they have string court, they have like strings, and there's more more use of keyboards. This is more interesting. The sound kind of opens up more, and and I like it a lot. And I think that's personally, I think that's an influence of Sean O'Hagan, who did, who is a very talented musician and did did the string arrangements and horn arrangements for them. And even though he left the group before Emperor Tomato Ketchup, he still like had a part to play in it. Like he did the string arrangements and stuff for them. Like he still does that even like as late as their last albums, he was still involved in their, in their albums, uh, just like doing arrangements and things. But yeah. So, so yeah, I think him having been a part of it, he really like brought a real great sound to their, uh, had an influence on the way they sounded and stuff. And right. or maybe just like him coming allowed them to open up their sound more and kind of indulge in some of their other, other influences okay you know like i don't know i don't want to say it's a chicken and egg thing obviously so so yeah so for instance um with this song though it's interesting i i bought i bought a little while ago i got four um four um of their cds they've just been reissuing their albums in uh, these sort of double cd sets so one is one set is a remastered album and the other one is is like uh demos or alternate tracks and things like that mm-hmm. And so it's quite interesting to listen to. And then also there's notes from Tim Gain, the songwriter guitarist in the group. Okay. Who, along with Letitia Sadie, was like the founder of, of Stereolab. And so I was just, I thought it was interesting. Like, so he was talking about doing this song Percolator. And he was saying like, at the time, they were really uninspired by what, by music, basically. Like they just didn't, there's nothing that was really like making, make, making them, um, Nothing they heard that was interesting to them, I guess. He says, The recording of this LP was preceded by a period lasting about a year of drifting about in a musical landscape that wasn't inspiring or particularly exciting. With nothing on the horizon, everything we tried tried out seemed to be a dead end. Right at this point, we began working on a cover version of a song by the 60s group, The Gods. The Gods with a Z, not The Gods with an S. Hmm, So not The Gods with an S who are on ESP disc, but The Gods with a Z who are a British group. Listening to their... Listening to their track and thinking about how to do a cover of a song that was pretty much a free improvisation, I heard four notes go by that stuck in my mind for some reason. Listening back to them again, I decided to loop them and keep on repeating them, building them up into a kind of hypnotic pulse that lurched every time it came back around. Andy, who was the drummer, laid down Mm -hmm. the drums that accented the feeling further. It was 7-8 time, in fact, that gave the lurch. It was at that point when the rhythm went down that I had an insight into how to crack open something new in music. Repetition in the buildup of small melodic cells from bass riffs to melodies that could coexist together, flowing in and around each other until the track became a mass of activity and the final song could be sculpted out of it. So I do think you can hear that in the track. If you listen again to it, you can hear like it is kind of like cellular and like in a sense where there's all these sort of individual elements mm-hmm. that aren't necessarily related to each other. Okay, yeah. It could almost exist, coexist apart from each other or it could exist at any other part of the song. But they're just sort of woven together in this really interesting uh, pattern or figure hmm. that, makes the song, that makes the song interesting to me anyway. Yeah, no, definitely. It is enjoyable. And in fact, 
I am just going to add right now, and it's going to play, it's very short, it's just a minute long. This is the original demo of the track, and and so everyone can hear it. It's, it's sort of interesting to hear it, because you can kind of hear like um, how the songs kind of was de developed, or how simply it started, and then you can hear, and when you listen to the track again, if you want, you can hear how complicated it was. So so let's just listen to the demo now, and then we'll come up, come back in a second, or in a minute really, because it's a minute long. So here we go. J'ai très très peur, ça c'est certain J'ai très très peur, mais beaucoup moins J'ai très très peur, ça c'est certain J'ai très très peur, mais beaucoup moins Que tous les gens À cette De mon bateau ancré profond Right, and so that was the demo. I just thought that was interesting, and because I, I have this, uh, like I say, I have these collections, so it's kind of fun to hear to hear things as they're formed, and 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 I might as well play it because it's unlikely mm -hmm. that listeners will be able to hear that unless yeah. they go out and buy these double double disc sets with it for themselves. And, but if you're a fan of Stereo Labs, they really are worth uh, getting. Mm -hmm. No, it's really cool looking, and has good liner notes and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Okay, so let's move on to our second song. Second song. This is. Uh, one of my all-time favorite 60s bands. This is Jefferson Airplane mm -hmm. from their third album Okay. after bathing at Baxter's, mm -hmm. I think from 1967. I wrote down 1967, Mary, quite confident that's, what, confident that's when it was made, but I'm not sure. I was actually. Yes, it was. They put out two albums in 1967, Surrealistic Pillow at the beginning of the year and after bathing at Baxter's at the end of the year. So here we go, everyone. This is uh, the, the like probably the, the earmarked hit song on the album, that was not a hit song, Watch Her Ride. Here we go.
We're back. Mary. Yes. Thoughts. I like Watch it. Watch your ride. I like this one. Yeah, it's a very good song, yeah. isn't it? I, I like that it has that that nice 60s poppy sound, yeah. which I like a lot. Yeah, yeah. And you also like a lot. Uh, that's very true. Um, yeah. No, it's a fun song. I like it. It's a fun song. And what one thing I love about the Jefferson Airplane is their three-singer sound. Mm. The I fact that they had... That mm, well, they had Paul Kantner, mm-hmm. writer of this song, guitar player, singer in the group, but also Marty Ballin, mm-hmm. who's a vocalist, and Grace Slick was a vocalist. So you, you get the three other voices. And, you know, unlike, say, groups from L.A. from this time period who were very much about vocal, like complicated vocal interplay, the Beach Boys being, of course, the the ne plus ultra of that sound, but there's lots of other groups from that time period, the Association and, and stuff. The Jefferson Airplane really could care less about, about the you know, making like creating vocal arrangements. They just sort of like their vocal sound is like what's happening when they're recording the song and how they're singing together and that feel of their voices together. And they sometimes they're singing and they're not even like harmonically in unison with each other, but it still works as a sort of interesting vocal interplay. Uh, I think most amazing to hear on um, the song, it's got a combination called Won't You Try slash Saturday, Saturday Afternoon, I think it's called. I wish I knew. I should look these things up or, or memorize them more. I'm, you know, I'm forgetting everything as they grow older. I'm 54 now, everyone, so my mm. mind is going ancient. But, but it, Saturday after Saturday afternoon, won't you try Saturday afternoon? It's like a, it's like a, a reminiscence of their performance at the Human Bee in in San Francisco's Golden Gate Park, and it's just this wonderful one pay on celebration of this great moment in 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 kind of human rock history, but also. It's just like a wonderful like interweaving and 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 celebration of the sound of of Jefferson Airplane. It's a really wonderful song from the from this album. But I I also love this song and I feel like this song is like um kind of like doesn't get its due as like a great yeah a great sixties pop song. Mm-hmm. Partly because it failed, partly because it was on a on an album that has some other great songs on it. Yes, you know not not just Won't You Try, but also the ballad of you and me and punil mm-hmm. you know that song right mm-hmm. yes that's a great song mm-hmm. and so and also rejoice by grace slick there's so many good songs in this album uh two heads also by her like you know it has it it's a kind of a album of ups and downs like it has like great songs and then it also has like a nine minute blues instrumental called spare mm. change which yeah, is the one you're kind of like mm, <laughs> boy like why did should you I put just, this on here maybe i'll just skip this one today i'll listen to the next time i listen to the album you say um, every time. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> so now, Mary, did you know that yes. the Jefferson Airplane was was fo- formed by Marty Ballin? No, I did not know that. It's true. He was a local uh, San Francisco singer. He'd actually put out a couple of singles on the Challenge label that weren't successful. But if you have the, the uh, Jefferson Airplane box set, Jefferson Airplane Loves You, uh, you can hear his song Chauffeur Blues on there. And... And you can maybe hear also why they weren't super successful because they're nothing like there's nothing stand out about them. They're just like good, well sung mm. songs of that time period. Yeah. So, um, so we had a couple of singles, and then he kind of drifted into the San Francisco folk scene and started becoming a folk performer. But and and that's where he met Paul Kantner, who was another folky. Mm, and okay. so he and he and Marty Ballin fo- formed Jefferson Airplane. And the reason that Ballin wanted to form Jefferson Airplane is he needed a band to play in a club he just opened called The Matrix. And Weird reason to start a band. Yeah, okay. I know. Isn't that strange? <laughs> so he'd, he'd bought this uh, former pizza parlor on Fillmore Street in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he did this with his own money and some investors. And they 
and then he yeah so then he formed this club the matrix and if you want to know what the matrix looked like inside if you watch the film fear and loathing in las vegas the terry gilliam directed johnny depp starring film there's a scene in there where they did a smart thing because there's a great moment in the book where where um hundreds thompson talks about how you could see when the 60s ended when the wave crashed to the beach, he describes it as crashing to the beach, and all that being left is like the detritus from the water washing back out. Hmm. To this. And when he talks about that in the movie, he's sitting in the Matrix Club, I think watching the Jefferson Airplane perform. Oh, okay. And so you can kind of see, uh, hopefully it's an accurate version. I would think, why not? You're doing a movie, why not make an accurate version of what the Matrix Club actually looked like? And uh, so that's kind of interesting to me anyway. So, um... Yeah, so Ballin was inspired by the Beatles as well as by like the set the kind of kind of success of folk rock and the Birds and Simon and Garfunkel to start a band, and so that's what he did. And so the classic lineup of Jefferson Airplane was and will always be Marty Ballin, vocals, guitar. I don't he didn't play guitar live, or, but he did play guitar to write songs. Paul Kantner, guitar, vocals. Grace Slick, vocals, piano, who replaced Senior Anderson who left after the birth of her first child. And Senior Anderson was also a really great singer. And, and she, you can hear her on the Jefferson Airplane Takes Off, their first album. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can hear her, like, she's really fantastic. Their version of um, Come Together is great on that album. Uh, Jorma Kakonen, or Jorma Kakonen, who okay. played lead guitar and vocals, sang vocals. Jack Cassidy on bass, and then Spencer Dryden on drums, who replaced Skip Spence, who, of course, was not a drummer. We talked about this before. Was not a drummer, but was... was uh, conscripted into the band by by marty bellin who insisted that he looked like a drummer <laughs> who replaced another drummer named jerry peliquin who'd quit the band because he was because he didn't look like a drummer jerry peliquin yeah <laughs> that's right he didn't look like a drummer. Well, actually he was kind of disturbed by the band's drug use oh which is weird for a guy who lived in san francisco in the 60s but yeah he's like this is like kind of crazy and really over too much for me so i'm leaving and so he did and so yeah so but spencer dryden took over the drumming on for surrealistic pillow Maybe he was disturbed because there wasn't enough drug use. Maybe that was he it. was like he was like, "Whoa, you guys aren't doing enough drugs." <laughs> I live in San Francisco in the '60s, and I'm used to way more drugs. Yeah, yeah. It's like that's, I don't know what's up with you guys. That's possible, but knowing the history of the band, unlikely. <laughs> so the airplane's name. Do you know how they got their name? The Jer- no, Jerson I was going to ask that actually. Oh, good, so. good. Should have asked me. Well. I was, you know, I, I mean, I was going to say I was waiting for you to stop talking, but <laughs> That'll never it's a fool's happen. errand. <laughs> you can interrupt, dear. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he had a friend, Jeremy Cocon had a friend who jokingly called him Blind Thomas Lemon, Je- uh, Blind Thomas uh, Jefferson Airplane. Okay. So Thomas Jefferson, former uh, framer of the Constitution. Yes, yes. And then, uh, but it was kind of a joke over this guy whose name was Blind Lemon Jefferson, who was a blues singer. And so just the idea of like these sort of outrageous blues names. Right. You give him this name. And so then the band was like, well, we need a crazy name. And he said, you want a crazy name? I have a crazy name for you. And so, yeah, they said Jefferson Airplane it is. Uh, and famously, they had these love uh, bumper stickers that said Jefferson Airplane love you, mm. which were pretty interesting. So after the su- massive success of the band's second album, Sur- Surrealistic Pillow, which contained this hits, these top 10 hits, both of them, even top five hits, um, Somebody to Love and White Rabbit. The group mm-hmm. and that album took like they recorded it in fourteen days, Ooh. thirteen days, sorry, Ooh. and it cost eight thousand dollars to make. Wow, it was super cheap, really fast. Yeah, uh, they then made an album after bathing at Baxter's, which took them four months to make and spent and much more money, probably three times or four times what it cost mm. them to make uh, 
surrealistic pillow. And uh, it's called After Bathing at Baxter's, which is possibly a reference to pre and post LSD experience. Oh, okay. So after bathing at Baxter's, meaning after you've taken LSD. Right. Um, now, the album was nominally produced by Al Schmidt, who was a former staff engineer at RCA, because the band signed to RCA Victor. One of the few groups that... That survived RCA's bad management? Well, I wouldn't say bad management, but <laughs> but RCA had it easy, because we've talked about this before. They had... They had Elvis. They had Elvis. They could just re-release an Elvis yeah, uh, yeah. mix collection every time that they wanted to make money. Yeah, And they're exactly. like, we're good forever. We don't need to pay attention to our bands. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I would call that bad management. I would say that yeah, you're probably right. I mean, but there was a lot of bad management by, by bands that period. No, that's true. Like, people that, just didn't know what to do, because yeah. there was no template of how to make market a great a band like you could have like the beatles but the beatles success was f- a fluke elvis yeah. press success was a fluke neither it's not, them... like, it's not like rca did great things and that's why elvis yeah. was so great right? well that's right they just and in fact they didn't discover elvis they bought the contract from sam phillips right. of sun records yeah who like recorded four elvis songs and they paid him like an incredible amount of money mm-hmm. and took not only for Elvis, but also for the the masters for the songs that he had already recorded, mm-hmm. and whatever else he'd done, and he took that money, and did he like discover another Elvis? In a way, he did. Like he hmm. had Jerry Lee Lewis, okay, yeah, Johnny Cash, yes, um, uh, other guys whose names <laughs> escape me now. Okay, who recorded Roy, Roy Orbison recorded for Sun. Okay, um, obviously Carl Perkins, mm-hmm. just people like that. But he didn't make his money for music. He made his money because he invested in Holiday Inn. Uh, oh really? In a t- motel chain, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, if you said to people today, um, who's wait, what was the name of the last guy you said? Carl Perkins. Carl Perkins. Yeah. Who's Carl Perkins? They'd probably say, I don't know. If you said, have you ever driven by a Holiday Inn? <laughs> they'd say, Oh yeah, well, I've stayed there. Yeah, yeah. You know, we have stayed there. Yeah, everyone has. It's Holiday Inn. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Everyone has ended up in that spot where you're like, Oh man, it's really late at night. I, uh, I didn't. I didn't plan for this. I guess I need to find somewhere to stay. And they like turn their head slightly to the side. And there's a holiday in there, and they're like, "All right, <laughs> that'll do. That'll do." Either that way, or if you turn the other way, it's a Motel Six. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's really just the luck of the draw. Which way you slightly turn your head? Yeah. 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 So or well. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was gonna say Best Westerns are pretty common too, but mm-hmm. I think that's more local, is it? I don't know. Just because it's called Western. <laughs> Maybe so. I, Figured, don't really I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, sorry. Continue. I have no, I'm no big thing. Uh, so yeah. So El Schmidt, um, he basically because he was an engineer, he like did a lot of like the engineering on the album. But he basically let the band produce it. Mm. He's perfectly willing to be like, yeah, you guys, you do it. And then um, the album also marked a change, which was it went from being a Mar- Bar- Marty Ballin led band mm-hmm. to becoming a Kantner and Slick led band. Mm, okay. And a lot of that had to do with. Well, the success of Grace Slick songs mm-hmm. on the on the second album, Somebody to Love and White Rabbit, but also the fact that Paul Kantner started writing a lot of songs, but also the fact that Jimi Hendrix experience and Cream were kind of leading a change in, in music as well. Mm. It, music was becoming heavy. Psychedel- psychedelic music was becoming heavier in, right. the, in the United States. England is a little different, but in the United States, psychedelic meant playing loud with a lot of distortion and guitar- long guitar solos. Mm-hmm. And who doesn't fit into that? A ballad-oriented singer mm-hmm. like marty ballin right and so his songs were openly derided by the band oh and he was basically sidelined oh that sucks and also and he not only was he like sidelined he basically like left the group and in, in some ways oh well he like had very little to do with the recording of the album hmm. he came in for his vocals 
Uh, he contributed one very nice, so- very nice song to the album. But unlike mm-hmm. Surrealistic Pillow, where he wrote a lot of the really good songs on it, this album he didn't have much to do with. And uh, he said he just kind of got tired of like this kind of star trips, as he described them, the band was on at the time. Oh, okay. And like, basically because of all the inflated egos from the commercial success of the, of the second album. And he just thought, this is no fun anymore. Like, it's not much fun. So basically he was out for this album, out for Crown of Creation, and then came back, storming back for um, Volunteers, and then kind of withdrew again. And then, uh, you know, like when Jefferson Starship was in trouble, when they're doing Red Octopus, and they needed a hit, who did they turn to? Marty Ballin. Yeah, of course. They're like, hey, Marty, come on back and help us out. We need some nice, sweet, sweet ballads. And so he came back and gave them Miracles, which is probably one of the dirtiest songs that ever been in the top 10. But anyway, <laughs> it's a great song, but it's about love making, everyone. Making love. So another interesting thing about this album is that the cover was drawn by a San Francisco cartoonist whose name was Ron Cobb. And now Cobb was part of like sort of the underground cartoonist scene in, in uh, San Francisco and did, you know, posters and stuff like that. But then he was friends with this guy named Dan O'Bannon, who co-wrote the screenplay for for Dark Stars, the John Carpenter directed film. Okay. John Carpenter's first film, which started as a, as a, I think when he was at UCLA, it started as like kind of a student film there. But then they got funding and they were able to turn it into a feature film. And Ron Cobb d- designed the, the spaceships and stuff for the film. And so then because Dan O'Bannon was hired by Alexander Jodorowsky from that experience to work on Dune. I believe it's Jodorowsky. Jodorowsky, sorry. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> when you only read names, you don't know how to I know, to I just listen to a lot of movie, you okay. know, related yeah, yeah. videos Thanks. and So he was podcasts, he so. was brought in with Abandon to work on Dune. Okay. And so Cobb did a lot of the, the science, like the starship designs for that right, film as well. Right, right. Which really cool designs yes. if you've ever seen that movie. I haven't, but I... Not the movie, because this well, is yeah, the Dune, Yod- the movie Yodorowsky's about Dune. Yodorowsky's yeah, Dune. Yeah, yeah. I've been meaning to watch that. It's very but good. I, I very want good. to actually read the book Dune. I mean, I want to read the book Dune before the movie comes out this year but oh, okay. the june movie comes out this year yeah i'm kind of excited for that yeah um because it's directed by denny villeneuve who, Vien- villeneuve or whatever v- he's he's quebec he's from quebec so yeah. it's gonna be villeneuve oh okay new city yeah why would we say new wave i don't know i guess that's more spanish <laughs> really? um, new wave new wave um yes denny villeneuve yeah because he did um obviously he did Enemy, which is a great film. Yes, and Prisoners, which Prisoners. is good. I've he, not seen Prisoners, but Sicario Prisoners is really good. good. Uh, I, I like Prisoners Mom, more than Sicario. Mum's favorite film of all time, Arrival. Oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot he did Arrival. And then yeah. uh, and then he did a, that brilliant uh, Blade Runner 2049, which I think mm. is a, a fantastic movie, mm-hmm. even though it wasn't a huge success. But she said he knew when he made it, it wasn't going to be a big success. Because yeah. you can't make a success out of a movie that's a cult film that everyone loves. You're not going to yeah. succeed. No, it's true. Even when you get Harrison Ford. But it's really good. Have you seen? Yep, I saw in theaters. Twenty forty nine. Oh, I didn't see it in theaters. That must have been wonderful to see in theaters. So it was. Yeah, it's very. It's just uh, an amazing looking movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really good. He's a really good director. So I'm, I'm kind of like have my hopes up that someone could do something out of Dune, which is like seems unfilmable. But what yeah, the heck? what the heck? Give it a try. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. I also, so, sorry, one well, last thing about yeah, Dune. Yeah. I also like that the posters for it look like it says Dunk. Yes. Because that's what I call Duncan. I, <laughs> I sent that to you. Remember? Yeah. I said yeah. that to you because I thought I thought it read like Dunk as well, which I stole from Eric Fell. Oh, okay, Critical, yeah. No, uh, I saw it on the Flophouse um, podcast Facebook page. Yeah, which talks about movies, but also lots of the things that are not movie related. But yeah, they also yeah. put Dune a lot. Yeah, because yeah. all the floppers have nerds. read and like Dune, and, and they're nerds. nerds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's you sure know it's a nerd page. So um, so yeah, then he went from Jodorowsky's Dune to work on Alien, 
Mm-hmm. And he did stuff for Star Wars and things. Okay, so he's done a cool. lot of that yeah. kind of stuff. And then he also worked on the screenplay for Dark Skies, which was going to be the follow-up to Close Encounters. Oh, okay. Which then when he got distracted working on another project, uh, Spielberg rewrote and or had rewritten and turned mm-hmm. into E.T. Oh, and so, And Cobb was supposed to direct the version, the Dark Skies version. Because hmm. Spielberg kind of promised. So as a, as a kind of like a, a sorry... For taking this out from underneath yeah. you, he gave him a, a partial cut of E.T. So oh, okay. that must have put some money in his pocket. Whew, sure would have. Yeah. But anyway, enough of Ron Cobb. So yeah, so Watch Your Ride was released as a single. Mm-hmm. But because um, like White Rabbit and Somebody Love were kind of really surprise hits that came out of nowhere for AM radio, it was only after that that people were like, aren't these like a lot of drug references? Mm. They're like, oh, yeah. And so it became <laughs> really hard for bands. This happened to the birds as well with, with Eight Miles High where someone said, oh, this is obviously about... About a acid about trip, drugs, right? yeah, about yeah. drugs. Rather than it's actually like a, a an impressionistic song about being in England. Oh, okay. But idiots. Because went. eight miles high is how fi- how high an airplane flies, which the guy from the birds knows because he's a plane nerd. Roger right? McGuinn. Yeah, Roger McGuinn. But someone suggested maybe the reason why he chose the name Roger over Jim, because mm-hmm. Roger is like a way of saying Roger oh, over and out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Huh. But who knows? Who knows? So uh, yeah, so it didn't. So they didn't get support from AM radio anymore, and so so a single, even though it's great, like Watch a Ride, which mm-hmm. should have been like higher up, only made it to like I think sixty one on the hmm. charts, and and the Ballad of You Me and Punil, which to me is like a crazy song to release as a single, mm-hmm. made it to number forty three. Hmm. So maybe they released them in the wrong order. They should have released Watch a Ride first, and then the Ballad of You Me and Punil second, because hmm. I think the Ballad of You Me and Punil, which is a great song, but I think in terms of like you know, teeny boppers or radio play isn't like a successful right. way to like approach it. You know? Yeah. Hmm. But then again, when, when they released the first thing they released from uh, surrealistic pillow was you're my best, fr- my best friend, which was a skip Spence song, which is kind of like a sucky song. Hmm. Okay. Like, it's not like, it's not a great song. Like somebody to love a white rabbit. I don't know. It's hard to know how you, how you should like roll out an album. Yeah. No one knows. No one knows. No. Everyone's and they especially throwing, didn't at this time. Everyone's just throwing, throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yep. You know, you had like but groups, like record labels like Columbia, mm-hmm. who would just like sign anyone. Yeah. Like any band. Mm-hmm. And they would record an album, mm-hmm. but then they wouldn't support it. Right. They'd be like, well, you made an album, didn't you? And they'd be like, yeah, but aren't you going to market it? Nah. Nah. <laughs> put it out there, see if people buy it. Yeah. Can you tell anyone it's out? No, I'm not going to tell anyone it's who, out. Who was that, who was that um, group that I had talked about who um, they like, once they made their album, they were like doing all this like ground level marketing for it and like going to radio stations and being like, please play our songs. Cause like the, um, the record company just like, wasn't cause the, the record company got like sold or bought or okay. whatever. Okay. And then even, so then even after they got songs played, um, if people would like go to record stores to try to find the album, oh. they wouldn't have it in any mm. stores. Yeah. Yeah. That's right? big star. Oh, those big star. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah they suffered the same. It's, it's, well, Sony Band suffered from that time. I mean, not Big yeah. Star. It was just because Stax was the s- distributor for Ardent Records and Ardent and Stax was, you know, going into bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and then they, then the, the yeah, the, the, um, and then the company that was, and also what happened was the company that was distributing them got bought out by Kinney. Mm. And then Kinney just like scrapped everything. Yeah. Like every record they had out, they mm-hmm. just scrapped it all. And so nothing got released. Yeah. 
And it, it just was terrible. This is a real shame for, not just for Big Star. Well, lots yeah, of bands for everyone suffered, at yeah. the time, right? Yeah. But yeah. For Stax and everyone. Because mm-hmm. then Stax, once again, they lost distribution. So they're barely hanging on. Yeah. Like they'd already lost, like their huge, their big, their 60s catalog was gone. Mm-hmm. They had all these, you know, even though they're still producing great stuff in the 70s, uh, that's not getting distributed. So they're just bleeding money. Yeah. It's just sad. Sad end for those bands. But anyway, let's move on from Jefferson Airplane. Okay. One of the greatest Finally. bands. Of the, one of the greatest bands of the 60s, everyone. Even though that they were pretentious and up their own asses. Well, yeah. They uh, were great. Yeah. But that's to be expected. Well, I was going to say, that's one difference between uh, American band, like 60s bands and mm-hmm. British 60s bands. Is American 60s bands, like British 60s bands had the single. Okay. Like you got the single. Right. Or maybe a couple singles. Yes. American bands didn't get that. They got the album. Mm, yeah. Like you got signed, you got to make an album. Mm-hmm. But it's, it was if it's sung, you know, if it was a success or not, it was entirely based on the gods. Yeah. But at least you got an album out of it. Mm-hmm. And in Britain, it was different. You got a single out of it, and your career, you know, sank or or swam on right. that. Right. I mean, I think that there's probably like pros and cons to both. For right? sure. Right. Like a single is an easier sell. Sure. Right. It's cheaper. And all your ideas are like distilled into one song. Yeah, you have. Yeah, you're not. You aren't taking like however many songs run an album. Yeah. And like trying to like market all these songs and trying to figure out which one works best. Yeah. You're able to like make a decision about like this is our best song. Yeah. This is going to be our single. This is going to be going on all the radios as our song. You can go to the store and buy this as our song. Yeah. And then if that's successful, we can make more. Right. We can like put out more singles. Put out. Like an album with these like best singles and then other songs that we've made too. Yeah. Right. But then yeah, but also an album. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's more prestigious, I guess. Right? Yeah. Have yeah. an album done. So that it does feel that way. Yeah. Although when you know that it was pretty easy, it was like dime a dozen to get a sing- an album made in <laughs> yeah. America. You're just like, well, yeah. I guess maybe that wasn't such a big deal. Yeah. But you could be lucky. You could get a hit song, and then you were on your way. Mm-hmm. Or you didn't get a hit song, and then you weren't on your way. Mm-hmm. Or you got a hit song and you still weren't on your way. <laughs> That's true too. Yeah, <laughs> can go you know, all over the place. Look at the box tops; they had a big hit single. They yeah, they never capitalized on it. Yeah, they never had a second big single. Hmm. Well, like, yeah, like, really, you need you need to like at least have three big singles in a row. Mm, okay, to have like a career. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, then look at B.J. Thomas. Yeah. You know, he had a bunch of hit singles, sure. and he still, you know, kind yeah, of fizzled. But time moved. Pa- time moved past him, though. Yeah. Like, he became. He was. Uh, he was out of step with the times. Mm-hmm. When you get to the sort of like early to mid seventies, he was already like you know there's already singer songwriters who are these mm-hmm. people writing about their feelings, yeah, and songs that they you know wrote and performed, mm-hmm. and you didn't need a person who was an interpretive song uh, singer who right. took other people's music and re mm-hmm. resang it for you know yeah. Although I mean that's come back around. Sure has. Yep. That's that's music for you. Yeah. Also, the other thing is I was looking at B J Thomas on Spotify, and yep. uh, they do not have. A lot of his early stuff, mm. but they have every single one of his Christian albums. Okay. All of them. Yeah. All of them. <laughs> yeah, it's all about licensing. So it just depends yeah. on who has the licensing rights to his his albums. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I basically, all the B.J. Thomas I own is uh, on an album, like mm-hmm. on records that I, I bought at thrift shops. Yeah, you don't have any CDs of it. Yeah. And I mean... When I first bought Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, which I bought because of the song Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, mm-hmm. it was it's a okay sounding record, but then I had to like find a way better one right. so that I had like a more pristine copy of, of the songs. Mm-hmm. 
that I could record. Yeah. So which I did eventually. Yes, which is how I knew about it about those songs about yeah. raindrops keep falling on my head and this guy's in love with you. Yeah. Because I don't think I've ever listened to that record, but I heard those songs on mixtapes yes, that you'd you made. Yes, you so. did. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you did. Okay, so let's move on to okay, yes. another song. This is uh, a band, and I'm kind of guessing that around this time I found this CD. I bought this CD. Oh, around 2016? And I loved it. Okay. Okay, yep. And and so everyone that got a mixtape at this time got a little taste of this album. <laughs> Which is uh, Mock Up Scale Down by the Super Friends. Okay, yep. Who are a band that I liked for a long time, mm-hmm. but probably when the albums came out, I didn't have the money to buy the CDs. Right. And so I found them later on, and I went, you know what? I love these albums. I'm going to buy them now. Mm-hmm. And I did. And actually, you know what happened, though, was this was what happened. Albums came out, pretty popular in Canada. Okay, yes. Much music, big, much music supported bands. Uh-huh. Um, in fact, I found someone had recorded the, the single, on, or the this song onto videotape and then they put the videotape onto YouTube, onto um, YouTube. Okay. Yep. And so you, it's, so it's, and then the way they did it though, is it has a bit of the song before it at the, before it starts. Oh, okay. And then has a bit of the song after it. Right. So it has this song mm-hmm. and then it ends with, and then the next song is underwhelmed by the Sloan. Oh, okay. But it cuts off before the song, you know, right. so obviously, but they're just saying like, I got all these songs at this time period, <laughs> all these songs that were, you know, uh, you, so Murder Records mm-hmm. slash mm-hmm. Uh, Universal okay. slash mm-hmm. Video Fact. Okay. And Video Fact was a, a, a grant, a Canadian grant that was given to bands so they could produce videos for their for their songs. Oh, okay. So you could apply for a for a song uh, for a video or it was Song Fact. You could I think it was Video Fact. You could apply for a Video Fact grant mm-hmm. in order to make your videos. Hmm. So that was kind of a cool thing. So cool. that's how that's why all these Canadian bands had these videos because yes. they've got money from the government. Good old government giving out money. People get mad about it. I don't. I get mad when they're giving away money to corporations. Why? Why do they need money? Yeah. Give that money to people so they can make dumb videos. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, um, corporations are doing fine. Yeah. And whatever. Yeah. But I mean, art. You know. Come on. Art. Yeah. <laughs> and even not art. Music like this. I mean, I would say that this falls into the category of art. Silly punk bands from Halifax. <laughs> So here we go, everyone. This is from 1995. This is Karate Man from the Super Friends album, Mock Up Scale Down. Let's give it a listen. All right, let's hear it.
Okay, so that was uh, Super Friends Karate Man. Mary, yes, what yes. did you what did you make of Karate Man? I thought the song was fun. Yeah, I wrote. I like their excitable, incomprehensible lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a good that's a good summary of the. This is uh, from the band's first album, which we've talked about this first person before. Brendan McGuire produced this album for them. Uh, Sloan uh, Soundman turned producer, mm-hmm. and um, we've talked about it before, so I'm not going to say much more about it. Uh, like I say, I clearly bought this album before I, just before I started this mixtape project or sometime doing it. Well, what I was going to say about it yes. was. That okay for a long time. So this this band came. This album came out. Band was popular. Mm-hmm. People in Canada liked them. Okay. Bought the album. Yes. And then forever after, every uh-huh. time you went into like a UCD store, Super Friends all over the place. Oh, always. Right. Always. And so I got kind of complacent. I was like, well, one of these days I should get this album. Right. One of these days I'll buy Super Friends. And then it disappeared. Well, yeah. Suddenly they weren't available. Well, one thing, there weren't any CD stores left anymore. Yes. CD stores went out the door because of stupid streaming. Or because of the dumb internet. Yep. So so then I didn't see them forever. So mm-hmm. one day I was in a store and they had this CD there. Okay. They used video used CD store. And I was like, glum. Because then I knew like I got to buy this because I may never see it again. Like, yeah. Now I keep bumming my arm everyone. I'm going to sit like super dejected now. That's not. Okay. I, I thought you were going to say I'm going to sit super still. And I was like, you're not. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> so then. Uh, so yeah. So I bought this. So that around this time I bought this CD. Just because I was like. Thinking like, I'll never see it again. Oh, no. I'm never going to find another Thresh Hermit, I'll, uh, Thresh Hermit CD. <laughs> Thresh Hermit. They were good. Another uh, Halifax band, everyone. Hmm. So then, um, so yeah, so that's good. So I'm going to post the video of this song on on the uh, page. Mm-hmm. Cool. And then what's kind of funny about it is that three comments down, okay. someone says, hey, that's my pediatrician. <laughs> and I was like, what? So then I was looking up. The band members, yes, and Drew Yamada, uh-huh. uh, guitar player in the band. Okay, I won't say lead guitar player because they're they're kind of co-lead guitar players. Right. Uh, yeah. After the band's was done, like when they broke up in yep. 1998, he went back to school. Mm-hmm. He had a degree in in uh, he had a I think he had like a bachelor of arts or something like that. And he went back to school and he uh, got his went became a doctor. He became cool. a pediatrician. Sweet, good for him. Yeah, it's really good. I I always admire people who can like sort of remake themselves after their career crashes. Yeah. You know, yeah. like um, Richard Davies mm-hmm. from uh, Cardinal mm-hmm. became a trial lawyer. That's what he works oh, as now. yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting like, mm-hmm. to go from that to becoming a lawyer. I guess both of them involve performing in a way, but... Yeah. Uh, no, it's true. That's interesting. So yeah, so that's a good song. I have nothing else to say about the group. I think they're very good. We've talked about them a lot. We've talked about them before. And we'll, I'm sure we will again. I don't know, but we I certainly was, was digging them at this time. <laughs> the only thing this I, and field music. Well, the only thing I had that had them on it was the Murder Records collection. I think it's called like Neko Literis Mandela, something or other. Hmm. Mando or something. Okay. Which means means something in right. Latin. Right. And it was this is like a sampler, like a, a murder record sampler okay. of the groups on it, like Super Friends and Sloan and, and Local Rabbits and the Inbreds. And that's where I first heard all these groups, right? So but anyway. Alright, so let's go on to the next song. We're gonna really whip through this, Mary. We're gonna we've been going for a while now, but we're gonna finish fast. So let's uh let's turn to our, our uh, fourth song. This is this is uh Mid Lake from their album The Trials of Van Occupanther. Yes. And the song is Roscoe. And uh, this song, I want you to listen to this song, everyone, and think about it as if you're listening to a band from the 1970s. And and, uh, I think you'll kind of hear where where they're getting their influences from. So let's listen to, to Roscoe. Here we go. 
Did you have some thoughts on Roscoe by Midlake? Yes, I like this one a lot too. And I don't think that I recognized that this was Midlake. Yeah, it's a lot different than Young Bride. Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Although the most, I mean, Young Bride is like different from every other song on the album, to be honest with you. Like that, this song is kind of more indicative of the al- album in, a, as a whole. It's what, it's a weird, it's a weird album. It feels like, it feels like it, because of the name of it, the Trials of Van Ocky Panther. It feels like it should be a concept album, but it's not. Mm. And, but and for the longest time, and but the songs do feel like they have like like a similar theme to them, but they don't in any way like link up as a story. Yes. But they do feel like they have like similar things they're singing about, which is often like a life in the country and some time in the past that where it was harder. But um, yeah, this uh, this song to me feels like it was very much influenced by well. Strictly by like Fleetwood Mac, and then and thinking that I was I was looking up, I typed in Fleetwood Mac, Midlake, and then came up that like they were influenced by them, particularly by their Bob Welch era albums, which seems really obscure. Hmm. But it was kind of a, it was like sort of like the last era before they became like superstars, before Fleetwood Mac became like the big band we know now. Because hmm. Fleetwood Mac, okay. 
Because Fleetwood Mac started married, they started off as like a blues band. Right. Really? Yeah. Huh. Okay. Led by Peter Green, who had played in played in John Mayall's Blues Breakers, which is like kind of your, at that time was like your, your way to like become well-known as a guitarist. Like Eric Clapton was in the Blues Breakers. And then he left to start Cream. And then, and then uh, Peter Green was in the Blues Breakers. And like all, all kinds of great, you know, guitar, British guitar, like blues guitarists were in the, in, in the Blues Breakers. And so they started off as like a very, like strictly a blues band. And then they like kind of morphed into being like more of a pop, like a rock pop band. Right. Still led by Peter Green. And then Peter Green uh, went insane. Okay. He had, a okay. Psych- he had a psychotic breakdown after taking acid. Okay. And so he left the band. Okay. And then it became led by Danny Kerwin, mm-hmm. who was in the band with Peter Green. And there was this Danny Kerwin and Jeremy Spence led the band. And then Jeremy Spence left the group because he got, he joined a cult called the Children of God. So he was gone. And then it was Danny Kerwin. And then Bob Welch joined the group. And then Danny Kerwin left because he was un- sort of unhappy. I think he'd been leading the band for a long time. And I think he felt the pressure of that and didn't enjoy it anymore. And so then it was Bob Welch led for two albums. And then Bob Welch had a hit song with a song called Sentimental Lady. Mm-hmm. So then he left to start a solo career. And that's when that's when the band um, brought in Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks joined oh, the band. Okay. And then that started like their huge multi-million yes. selling album. Yeah, that's started. like the Fleetwood Mac that people know. Yeah, like if you went like, yeah. well, what, do you, you know, what Fleetwood Mac song do you love? They'd be like, oh, I love, you know... Um, that song that yeah. you know you know the one i mean that song the song that everyone loves yeah you know or like if you said like well like who do you associate with fleetwood mac they would yeah. say stevie nicks yeah right? right they wouldn't yeah. say like oh i think of it as like a danny kerwin like danny kerwin led <laughs> um like what, what do you say grassroots folk no um blues blues group yeah yeah you know like that no no one thinks of fleetwood mac and thinks that right yeah yeah, yeah. except for maybe you i guess but yeah me well you, yeah so, but you're a weirdo well, not a weirdo. Well, I so agree to disagree, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, anyway, back to Midlake. So, mm-hmm. yeah, this album is uh, very interesting. But what I find, this is the thing I find fascinating about the group, is that singer, songwriter, Tim Tim Smith, mm-hmm. who is, I think, a very neurotic person. Oh, okay. Like, it took two years to do this album. Really? Partly because they recorded and scrapped an album in the middle of it. Oh, that doesn't help. No. And then they did the same thing again. Huh. After this album, they took like two years to do another album, which t- was like, instead of being like 70s rock inspired, it was more a six or a 70s British folk rock group inspired. So it was like drawing from like Steel Ice Span and stuff like that. And the kind of late period um, Fairport convention. Gotcha. And and then they started the next album after that and they recorded a ho- another whole album. Mm-hmm. And then Smith decided to quit the group. Really? Yeah, so he just left the group. That's so weird, because he's, like, the prominent force behind this album. Yeah. He, yeah. like, wrote all the songs. He, like, produced yeah. it. He yeah. um, he did, like, all the instruments, basically. Yeah. It's, it almost feels like a Tim Smith album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so then, so then uh, he he left, and so then, and then the group and him, they didn't want to go through, like, the, the, you know, lengthy the, divorce process the divorce process of like dividing the songs and stuff like that so they just yeah. scrapped that album okay and so then he went off to start a new album and then they recorded their own album without him called right. antiphone that came out in 2013 but that's the last album by the group hmm. so it kind of implies they've broken up yeah it's six years six yeah. years or six seven seven years between songs or albums is not a long time so uh yeah 
But anyway, this is a great album. Yeah. This is a good well, song. Well, I mean, I think it's hard for a band to continue when sort of the driving for force behind a lot of the music leaves, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. Like, if the other people in the band aren't very interested in songwriting or, like, producing the songs, then it's hard to keep going. Mm, mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. So is yeah. Tim Smith, um, has he, like, put out other albums since Um this? He's done a little bit, but not a lot either. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm. That's unfortunate. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, just the neurotic artist type. Yeah. You know? it's, hard to, yeah. it's hard to be an artist. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure. It's, I think it's hard to be a saint in the city, and it's hard to be an artist right. as well. I think that I imagine that a lot of people get into music not be. I mean, I'm sure that there's people who get into music because they want um, fame. Yeah. But I imagine that there's a lot of people like Tim Smith who get into music not because they want fame, but because they love music. Yeah. And yeah. then for them becoming a famous person is a lot of pressure, mm. right? Like it. It sort of feels like you're it like changes what you're doing. Yeah. Right. I think that Sofiane Stevens kind of feels that way sometimes too. Sure. Right. Where it like, you're trying to be a musician and you're trying to be like true oh, to what you want to do yeah. as a musician. But then you're also trying to like make music that your fans will like, but then you're not trying to like pander, but then you're trying to make sure that you're taking into account what is, what people are buying. And there's, it's just like, it gets to be a lot, right? Like yeah. when it becomes more than just like, this is a thing that I like doing. Yeah. 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 For sure. Especially when you're in a smaller band where you have less uh, of a, you know, less of a mechanism around you that does all this work for you. You, yeah. you tend to be the one who's answering the phones and writing, mm -hmm. the, writing the emails and things. And yeah. Can just wear you down. For yeah. Sure. For sure. Speaking of being worn down. Yes. Let's listen to an artist that was crushed by the music industry, Mary. Crushed. That's sad. Yeah. This is Emmett Rhodes. Okay. From his second solo album, Mirror. I guess I sh maybe third. Well, second and or third solo album, oh. Mirror. And or? Yeah. We'll talk okay. about it when we come back from okay. the song. This is uh, Really Wanted You from Mirror from 1971. Here we go, everybody. Yeah. 
Mary, what did you make of uh, Emmett Road's song, Really Wanted You? I like the song. Well, it's Emmett Road. How can you not like an Emmett Road song? Yeah. Um, it had a very fun guitar, yeah. I thought. Yeah, for sure. It's guitar. This is a bit of a rockier album mm. than his first uh, solo okay. album. Yeah. yeah. So Emmett Rhodes, of course, was in, the, we've talked about him before. He was in the Merry-Go-Round. Mm-hmm. He, he was in the Palace Guard. Mm-hmm. You can tell from the band names that they were very Beatle-oriented bands. <laughs> and he... Uh, well, the merry-go-round kind of broke up. He broke it up, whatever happened. There was a lot of inter-band fighting and whatnot. And so he went solo, basically. And he was kind of already doing it solo anyway. The band was at such a point that he was just going into A&M studios and recording songs as the merry-go-round by himself. Right. And so he did that for a bit. He had session musicians and people like that around him, and he recorded. And he made an album for A&M, and A&M decided not to release it. They shelved the album. Oh, okay. Hmm. So he left A&M Records and he signed with ABC Dunhill. Okay. An album, a label, to give you a sense of how it was thought of in the in the record industry, a label called by people ABC, ABC Dunhill. So, <laughs> so people really liked them. People really liked them, yes. <laughs> now, when he signed with this record label, a very common contract at the time required two albums a year from artists. Now, this was common in the 60s. When, say, for instance, the Beach Boys, Brian Wilson's Beach Boys, were required to provide three albums a year. Okay. Which Brian Wilson did for many years. Right. That's a lot. That's a lot of albums. It's a lot of songs. It's a lot of songs. He wrote, he wrote, played on, sang on, and produced three albums a year by himself. You know, obviously he had help with lyrics and stuff like that. Yeah. But he basically did it by himself mm-hmm. for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then you wonder why he lost his brains. Yeah. Why he went crazy, lost his brains. That's not even an expression. Why would I say lost his brains? Mm. I was trying to sound dramatic and said I sounded like a goofball. Yeah. <sighs> That's the story of my life, Mary. Try to sound cool. Mm. Sounds like a goofball. Sound like a goofball. It's true. You are a goofball. I'm not a goofball. You're a goofball. Why do you say that? Because you are. That's not a, I don't know if that's true. Okay. I don't know, Mary. I think if you look up goofball mm-hmm. in the dictionary. It would there would be a picture of you? There's not a picture of me, there is what be. I was gonna say. No, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, how can you live your life, everyone, if your daughter, your own daughter, mm. your own flesh and blood is supposed yes. to look up to you uh-huh. and thinks you're a goofball? Well, I do look up to you oh. as as an icon for being a goofball. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I meant. Oh, not well. what I meant, Mary. All right, you were vague. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like someone whose life you want to model yourself after, who's who like you know, it's like a model of like how to behave as an adult, who, right? Who you would follow, right? But not, not that no, at definitely all. not, because you're a goofball. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Whew. truth hurts, I guess. So. So Emmett Rhodes signed with uh, ABC, ABC mm-hmm. and was and was expected to do two records a year. Now, I guess because he'd been so burned by the bands that he'd been in, you know, Palace Guard, he'd wanted to be like, get up front and sing and stuff like that. But he was a drummer in the group and they're like, no, you're the drummer. You don't get to sing or play guitar. Say in the back there, dog. And then when he was with the um, merry-go-round where he was a front man and got to play guitar, then he's ended up having to argue with everyone over the directions and stuff like that he wanted to take the songs in. Hmm. So... Starting a solo career, he's like, you know what? I'm going to make this a true solo career. I'm going to do everything on my own. So he 
got a little bit of the money that he had left over from his from uh, being a you know a somewhat of a, a star. He had a, like a hit, a couple of hit songs with mm-hmm. or minor hit songs with Liv, with uh, with Liv and and You're a Very Lovely Woman with the Merry Go Round. So he uh, took that money and he bought himself this old Ampex three hundred. I don't know what that is. It's a four track recording machine. Oh okay. He describes it about the size of a, of a washing machine. Hmm. It's like a big old box. Right. And he proceeded to record his first album entirely on that machine. Wow. Uh, after he finished his first album, he then recorded, he then bought himself an 8-track. He sold the the uh, Ampex 300 and bought himself a Scully 8-track, which mm-hmm. is a little better. It's four better, Mary, in other words. So instead of having four tracks you're recording on, you have eight tracks you're recording on. Because mm. what happened with the... So it's wh- twice as good. It's twice as good. Because with the four-track, for instance, you can record four tracks of instruments. Okay. But what you want, also want to do is you want to be able to bounce down some of those tracks. Okay. And what's bouncing down means is that you're re-recording, maybe you're re-recording two of the tracks onto a, a third track. And oh, so you open up more okay. tracks by recording right. those two instruments down. No, that makes sense. But by doing that, you're also recording the sound of yourself recording. If okay. that makes sense. So you, yes. So you'll yeah. get more and more hiss. Right. Background noise in your recording, the more right. bouncing down you do. So you Because you're so what you're doing is you've got the so you've got the two, so you've got the music, so say you've got like whatever drums on one and guitar on another one. Yeah, yeah. And then you want to record drums and guitar together. Yeah. So then you are playing both of those and then recording them on the fourth one. Yeah. Or the third one. Yeah. So that, but then when you're doing that, you're getting that like ambient outside noise. That's right. Or even just the machine sound. Or even the itself. machine yeah, sound, yeah. Of it working. Right. And so, so what he would do is he carefully planned it all. He like mapped out what, how he wanted the, the tracks to be stacked on. Okay. And he had like limited instrumentation as well. He was basically guitar, bass, piano, and drums. Okay. Plus voice. Right. So what he would do is he would, but then he, you know, if you want percussion, other instruments, so you need to like incorporate them in, right? Mm-hmm. So what he did was he would record the first track would be a metronome. Okay. He'd use a metronome. And okay. that is what he would record to when he started recording. And then he'd decide, is this song piano song or is it a guitar song? Hmm. If it was a guitar song, he would record the guitar mm-hmm. part first. Or if it was a piano song, he would record the piano part first. Okay. Then, so once he had like the guitar, let's say, he mm-hmm. would then record the drums. But what he would do is he would, he would, he would re-record the guitar onto, say, the fourth track. Okay. And then he would record the drums at the same time he was re-recording the guitar. Right. So he yes. could he would bounce down the drums, mm-hmm. and but then, then add the guitar. Right. So say rhythm guitar, and then he wouldn't have as much uh, loss of like as much ambient, you know, or noise loss yes. or anything like that. Yeah. Then, because he now had the drums, he could get rid of the metronome. Okay. So he would then re-record over the metronome with a, you know, whatever, and then he would keep doing that, and so and then he would fill the four tracks. Mm-hmm. So then he would take all four of those tracks and he would bounce them down to one track and then he would have three tracks left over for vocals okay and then he would record the vocals hmm. and then when he did the mastering he took the took the tapes to a friend a guy named keith olson who uh, had played in the music machine so it was a local musician that he knew mm-hmm. played in the same scene as him and keith Ol- olson had had be, had kind of hooked up with um with kurt betcher who we've talked about quite a bit on this on this show and they have we kurt betcher yeah who's that he produced the Association. Oh, okay, okay. He produced the Millennium. Sorry, for some reason I was thinking he was a um, musician. He was a musician and singer-songwriter. and yeah, Oh, producer. we haven't heard any of his songs. Maybe not. Maybe I'm thinking this ahead of myself. Sorry. We'll get to... We'll get to if we haven't already, we'll get to Kurt Betcher. So then... Um, so then... Uh, yeah, Betcher and Olsen mastered the, the record and kind of... 
gave it the stereo and did all that kind of stuff for it. And so, but it was, and the thing was that this time, because of uh, union rules, musician union rules, you weren't allowed to put out a professionally, like a, you couldn't put out a, a record as a, prof- like a, like a, like a real record, like a record company record, if it was homemade. So he wasn't allowed to say recorded at home or self-produced or anything like that on the record itself. Right. Uh, the only clue to it was on that record. Keith Olsen put in the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the master disc he wrote on it, recorded at home in the Renault groove. So, uh, so yeah. So the, here's the problem, though, is it took him a year to record this, this album, his first album. Okay. So yeah, that's he put a- it one album. He was already in default of his contract, yes. the record label. Yeah. So they promptly sued him for $250,000 and froze his royalties. Hate that. That's terrible. So that's the kind of... So when he went in to do Mirror, that's mm-hmm. what he's already facing. And so... So you, what you're saying is that um, he had a very supportive record label. <laughs> he had a very supportive record label. Who was like, yeah, we understand, Emmett. You are doing your best and yeah. you're an artist. And yeah. we understand that you're taking your time. And yeah. Because when two he, albums a year is a lot. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly yeah. what they're like. And, and also, we understand that if you want to like add an instrument to this that you don't know how to play, you have to learn to play it first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like he didn't know how to play bass when he started recording oh, okay. uh, his first album, yeah. self-titled album. So he learned to play bass yeah. so that he could do the bass parts. Yeah. And he didn't know how to, and he knew how to play drums, he knew how to play guitar. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of so he, and he sort of taught himself piano yeah. and taught himself uh, bass okay. so he could play it, play an album. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. makes sense right just like on the third album he had to learn to play saxophone and, and, and stuff like that so he could add <laughs> sax parts to it I like how for him that's just like it's just an option yeah <laughs> like, he, like he he isn't he wasn't thinking like oh I don't know how to play piano so maybe I just won't write songs with piano <laughs> yeah. or like I don't know how to play saxophone I'm going to write songs that don't include saxophone yeah. he's like I really want a saxophone sound in this so I'm just going to learn how to play it like yeah. okay <laughs> sure I guess so I know just one of those <laughs> Musical polymaths that yeah. make me so jealous. Yeah. But um, yeah, so yeah, it's too bad, really, because this is a great album. Like, it's a fantastic album. We're well, gonna hear, we're gonna hear another song from this album. Can I just say one thing, Dad? In the mixtape project, you're yes. not a musical polymath. No. But you are one thing. What's that? A goofball. <laughs> Thanks. You're <Mary>. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't expect that to come back and haunt me so soon. <laughs> Thought maybe end of the show gag. No. No, nope. it's uh, nope. right because that's when you're not expecting it. <laughs> that's true. Is right away. I just, I just walked right <laughs> into that door. <laughs> right into it. Um, so, are we going to the next song, or do you have more to say about Emmett Rhodes? I just want to say one more thing about this album. Okay. Because I, I bought this record. It's actually the first Emmett Rhodes record I bought. I found it at a. I found it at a. Um, I think it was called Strawberry Records. It was a used record store near where I lived in Delta, mm-hmm. North Delta. It's right on the. It was right on the Delta Surrey border. So it was on Scott Road, which was the border road between the two municipalities. And I just happened to go there one day. I found that record there. Mm-hmm. And I also found the Kinks, um, Arthur there as well. Okay, yes. Arthur and, and the Decline and Fall of the British Empire. Yep, yep. There. And because what was so great about that was that it's the, the sleeve that has the kangaroo that's holding the record as you pull the record out of the sleeve. <laughs> It has it had the kangaroo. Right. No, not the kangaroo. Sorry. It has Queen Elizabeth holding the record for you. So you pull it that out. That makes more sense. Queen Elizabeth comes out of the out of the, the pouch of the kangaroo. Right. Because when you... So the gate is a gate full sleeve. You unfold the gate's full sleeve. There is Queen... Uh, there's a kangaroo. And then you reach into the pouch to pull the record out. Mm-hmm. And then the record comes out held by Queen Elizabeth. Mm. In a little kind of folder that has Queen Elizabeth image on it. Cool. That's great. 
And so I found that there. Even though I had the record already, I bought it again. Because so you didn't have that. that version of it? I didn't have it? that version of it. Yeah. And so then I had to also to buy the CD of it as well. Then I had to buy the CD again because it came out with all these extra tracks on it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> so so the point of the story is that Dad has wasted a lot of money <laughs> buying multiple versions of the same album. <laughs> it's not wasted. It's all great. <laughs> you don't miss it much. <laughs> but anyway, so... Uh, yeah, so I bought this. I bought this album there, and and it's a bu- it's a beautiful album. Of course, it's you know it's a seventies record, so it's got that really hard sleeve, that really hard gatefold sleeve, and you open it up, and there's a big picture of Emmett Rhodes inside. And then, but what's really fun about it is this, I think it's side two. When you start the record, just before the song starts, you can hear his mum's voice go, "Emmett," <laughs> just in the background. And yeah. It's really cool, but it's not on the CD. Oh, I took really? it out for the CD. Oh. Yeah, I listened to it, and I was like, "Oh, I can't wait to hear the, her voice." And the, oh weird that is weird dumb in fact but anyway that's the only thing I, that's all i have to say about it okay it's a good song though right it is no i liked it it was very fun all right what's the next song father so the next song we're gonna go from 71 mm-hmm. to 1977 okay so not that far in the future same decade same decade mm-hmm. same continent okay different coast okay we're going all the way we're going from california to new york to boston oh okay and this is boston okay the Real Kids, mm-hmm. with the song All Kinds of Girls, Okay. which this is the single from the album, The Real Kids, that came out in 
All right, so that was All Kinds of Girls. Mary, what yes. did you think of this song? Um, It was okay. Okay? It was good I, I thought it started off fun. Yeah. And then I thought it was, like, fine after that. Oh. I really like the song. Okay. I think it's a great sort of, like, proto-power-pop song, I guess I could call it. Right. Or power-pop song of the time, or even a proto-punk song, in a way. Uh, and, and, you know, like, uh, par- you know, the band formed in 1972 by this guy named John Fleece, who was a friend of Jonathan Richmond, friend and neighbor of Jonathan Richmond, mm-hmm. and even played for a while in the Modern Lovers. Unfortunately, because he was still going to school, was not able to participate in the the fabled recording of the Modern Lovers by John Cale that w- went unreleased because um, Jonathan Richmond broke up the band after the, uh, the album was recorded. But, um, excuse me, um, but he was a part of the band, got to play, played live with them quite a, you know, for a number of years. And and then when uh, he, when the Modern Lovers broke up, when Jonathan, Jonathan Richmond decided to change change his story, change his do you know what I mean? Change his story, change his path in life. Okay. Yes. You know, he went yep. from the sort of the, doing the sort of negative music. Mm-hmm. He just wanted to do positive music. Right. Okay. He wanted to do songs that like for families. Okay. And for kids. Sure. And that people would enjoy, would bring joy to people's lives. Mm. So John Fleece formed the Real Kids in 1972. Okay. And obviously. I should say they're from, I said they're from Boston, right? Yeah, Boston based band. And uh, so, yeah, I just played around for a long time and finally got signed to Marty Tao. Marty Tao was um, kind of a mover and shaker in New York. Was part He is a manager of the New York Dolls and then kind of went on to like work with the Ramones and Richard Hell and the Voidoids. And he started a record label called Red Star Records. And so he signed up the Real Kids, recognizing Mary, how great they are. <laughs> and this was the single for the band. What's interesting, though, is that the band did this song as a single before they did this version of it. They did a, ver- a longer version, about a minute longer, for a different record label called Sponge Records, which was founded by this uh, journalist, a French journalist named Philippe Garnier, started this label called Sponge. And basically, he started it either A, to release the Real Kids song or to release a single by rocky erickson the guitar player and singer from 13th floor elevators okay those are the only two singles that were on this label Hmm. so i don't know why he did but anyway he had two songs on it but actually the version that version of all kinds of girls is a little it's not quite as good as this version it's a little it's a little weaker it's not as punchy as this version i really like this version it's real it's a real kick in the kick in the gut it's a real like powerful you know like sure and it's a very simple song, obviously. I mean, they're just doing like the, you know, do 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 which even I can do on guitar. That's how simple it is. If I can do it, it's simple. And but they really make it really make it work. But what's interesting about the first single they did, the one with for Sponge Records, to me, is it was recorded at Dimension Sound Studios in Boston. Okay. Home home of home to such great recordings as Have Moisey. I guess. The the great round unholy motor rounders, Michael Hurley, Clam Tones album also the clam tones spiders in the moonlight mm-hmm. also michael hurley's great long journey mm-hmm. album and produced or well, mixed anyway by john nagy who was the producer and uh of the rounders and you know stuff so yeah it's just like feels like yeah it's great but it, it's not that great though so the the, the uh, second recording of the song is better which seems unusual to me usually like the first version of a song is rougher and more to the point and stuff like that and the, the second version is kind of flabby and it's lacking something in the spirit of the first, but it's the opposite. I don't know why. It's interesting. So there you go. There you go, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that song. Did you enjoy that song, Mary? I already said. You didn't. I was no, I, I said was... it was... I was hoping I'd fool you into saying you enjoyed it. <laughs> 
What would that accomplish? Just the fact that then you'd be more agreeable instead of a disagreeable person. <laughs> Seems a little harsh, but all right. Yeah, you're disagreeable. Mary? Yes? There's one thing we can agree on, though. Mm. You and I. Yes. Is that your goofball? No, I don't agree with that. It's ridiculous. <laughs> what were you going to say? Is <laughs> haunting me. <laughs> Is that we both like Elliot Smith. Oh, we do both like Elliot Smith. And so, this song that we're that we're going to play... It's the first time we've ever uh, heard this song. It's so great. It shows that Dad's a big copycat. What? Wait a second. Yep. Not a copycat at all, Mary. Okay. Because mm. who do you hear this song from? Elliot Smith. Who played it for you the first time. Whose mixtape <laughs> did you hear this song on, Mary? Mom's. No. <laughs> I don't know. I you don't, don't remember. <laughs> I remember the first time I heard this song. I don't know. You don't remember the first time? It was you. It was you. It was your mixtape. <laughs> All right. So this is Baby Britain. We've already given a big hint. This is Baby Britain from EXO from, from t- sometime in the, in the 90s. Sometime in the 90s. Was it 98? I don't, I don't know. Oh, I, wasn't this one 2001? I mean, I don't remember now. I forgot to look it up. Oh, my God. I was being kind of lazy with these. Um, it's my birthday, everyone. It's my lazy I day today. Am, I am. I should be working on my birthday. I was way better at this than you were. That's true. Let's listen to the song while we look it up. All right, everyone. This is Baby Britain. Enjoy. Baby Britain feels the best. Floating over a sea of vodka. Separated from the rest. Fights problems with bigger problems. Sings the ocean falling rise. Counts the waves as somehow. Oh, oh, oh. 
Hey, Mare. Yes? I heard that you really like this song, but do you like it enough to put it on a mixtape? Yes. Oh, that answers that question. Uh, also, Mary. Yes? You were saying this, al- this, song was, this album was from 2001. Uh-huh. X slash O uh-huh. by Elliot Smith. What year was this album uh, made? Um, I just want to say it's not actually X slash O, it's just XO. Oh, okay. Darn. Um, and it uh, it came out in 1998. Ha! There you go, Mare. He didn't actually have a song come out in two thousand or an album come out in two thousand one. I don't know what I was thinking. Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> it's all right. It's easy to get things mixed up. Yes. I do that all the time. True. This song is great, Mary. We've uh-huh. talked about it before. It's Beatlesque. Mm-hmm. Dead soldiers are empty bottles. So mm-hmm. I didn't know until I was from a, some of their source, and then I went, I took it back to this song, and went, "Oh, is that what he's saying?" Uh, it mentions Revolver, which is my favorite Beatles album. Uh, there's nothing that's not great about this song. Dad, I have a question for you. Oh, please ask me. This album was re- released on DreamWorks yes. label, yep. records label. Yep. On Google, it says the label was Bong Loads Re- Bong Load Records. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. I wonder why that is. Yeah. I wonder if it was re-released, reissued? Maybe. It was reissued on on Bong Load with extra tracks or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know if DreamWorks is still around. DreamWorks Records is still around. I don't think so. Actually, on Bong Load's was, oh. Wikipedia page, it does have 1998 it says that they released um elliot smith xo okay that's interesting i w- uh did they re- release heat miser no that was virgin that's weird i don't know that's weird uh yeah they um they released well they did beck bongload um, yeah they released loser oh, i don't think that's what i think these are reissues it's it says one of bongload's biggest signings was beck in 1991 um but then it said that in 1998, Beck recorded the album Mutations, intended for release on Bong Load Records, but it was eventually released on the Geffen label. There were a series of lawsuits between Beck, Bong Load, and Geffen, settled in 1999, which led to Beck's rene- renegotiation with Geffen. Huh. Beck released multiple titles on Bong Load, including Loser, Mellow Gold, Odelay, Mutations, and Midnight Vulture. Mul- Midnight Vultures. I guess because I have the Canadian versions, I don't think they're on Bong Load. In Canada. Um, Interesting. Yeah, because then when you go to, to Odelay's page, Wikipedia yeah. page, yeah. it says that the label was DGC. David Geffen Records. Yeah. yeah. Huh. That's, that's so weird. I wonder what's going on with this. You know what? Bong Loader have just been re- rewriting history on Wiki- in Wikipedia pages. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it is just Wikipedia. Anyone can edit that. Yeah. So like, they could just say. They could just say anything, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's just like an interest. It's just like a weird thing. Yeah. That it's on Google and on... Um, and on Wikipedia, and on Discogs, too. Yeah. It's on Discogs, which is usually pretty good about stuff like that. It is weird. It is weird. Anyway, sorry, we can continue talking about... Um, I mean, what more is there to say? I already talked him to death last time. <laughs> yeah, we have said a lot about him, so we won't, we won't, we won't belabor the point. Um, so, Mary. Yes? Let's give a listen to the next song, then. This is uh, Taylor Hollingsworth, and the song is called Keep Coming Back. Keep coming back. Remember, that's a there's a apostrophe after the end mm. uh, from his 2009 album "Life with a Slow Ear." So here we go. Back. I said, how much longer gonna drag me along? 
me through a pile of rocks when I'm just skinning bones. You leave me bruises, leave me cuts, leave me out of the cold. I say, how can you love me? Then just leave me alone. I keep coming back, I keep coming back. I say, how can you love me? Then leave me alone. I keep coming back, I keep coming back. Make up your mind, either love me or leave me behind But don't come around until you get it all figured out Stop, stop coming around told me that you had lots of thoughts about this song that you couldn't wait to talk about it and that you uh had written at least 14 pages of notes you know what? it's funny that you say that yeah it's actually the opposite oh i listened to this song five times and yeah. i couldn't come up with anything to say about it oh really i don't know why this song to me was like um like a piece of frozen water and my brain just kept like <laughs> sliding across it when i was trying i was trying to like dive in and so yeah. it would just like slide across the surface yeah you better fix your mic oh what's going on here you have to tighten that so. i did tighten the knob i did it if you use strong fingers that. strong fingers there you go good girl i did it already all right you've you've done it now so um really the song made no impression on you at all no none huh 
I don't know why. Yeah. I don't remember anything about it. I listened to it. I listened to it in here with you. Yeah. And I don't remember how it goes. Like, I don't, I don't know what. <laughs> so. I kept re-listening to it because I was like, this is the only song I don't have notes on. Yeah. I need to listen to it. And I'd listen to it. And then the song would be over and I'd be like, did I listen to it? Yeah. Did I go into a fugue state? <laughs> did I like, I think maybe that this song might contain a code word that turns me into a Russian spy. Okay. That's possible. So I like lose I lose some time. Yeah. For the three minutes that the song goes on for. Hmm. Interesting. It's my only theory. It, it's the only thing that makes sense. It's only workable theory. Yeah. I can't think of any other reason for no, it. No, me neither. Uh, you know, listening to the song now. Uh huh. I still like it. Yeah. But I'm kind of like, why did I put this on here? Yeah. But at the same time, I do I do like it. Like I like the the kind of slow build to the song. I like the organ in it. You you do like. A song with a slow build. I like a song that builds, but yeah. But at the same time, I listening to it, I'm like, oh, I can see why I did this, which is that I just felt like I needed another song, a goofy song. Yeah, that would go, that would go here. It's filler. Yeah, it's filler. But I mean, you know, it's a song that's probably maybe slightly hard to like, and so I I like to put those kind of songs somewhere near like the near the end of a of a of a side. True. I usually uh, I usually stop liking the songs (laughs) on your mixes at the end. Really? That's not true. No, no, that's not true at all. You're just lying. You're lying. You're lying. I'm just saying this. No, no. The reason that you like the song so much when you get to the end is because there's a little bit of a palate cleanser before you get to those songs. Mm. And this is an example of a palate cleanser Hmm. where you're like, like it, like it, like it, like it. These are all really good songs. Mm -hmm. Weird. Don't know what this is. Mm -hmm. Don't know who it is. Mm -hmm. Kind of obscure. Uh Not sure about it. I don't know if you know what a palate cleanser is. Yeah, exactly that. Like a pellet cleanser would be like here's an example of a pellet cleanser, mm. sandpaper. So before mm. you have your next meal, well, you like sand your tongue with no, sandpaper. That's not. And like not you're ready for your so next. That when you taste that next bite, all that you taste is blood. Yeah. Or how about a hobnailed boot stepping yeah. on your tongue? No, these are not. Then you're like, oh, good this is tastes way better than having my tongue stepped on. A pellet cleanser is. It's not. Yeah. No. It's like something that makes your tongue ready for like. To be more excited about what comes next. I think you're thinking of a palate dirtier. No, not a palate dirtier. No, a palate cleanser is something like gets you ready mm. and you're in full of anticipation of your next thing. Do you're you gonna know have. what the word clean means? Yeah. It's not a hobnailed boot stepping on your tongue. Okay. How about then use, taking a cloth covered with bleach and using it to clean your tongue? Well. That's a cleanser. Yeah. It's exactly, a, Mary. Well, then you're ready for the next delicious bit of food that I does not taste think... like bleach. I mean, I guess, I guess it would get rid of any previous flavors on your tongue. Not just that. It's like your tongue is like confused. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, why has it got it's bleach on confusion. it? muscle confusion. Why has it got bleach on it? Yeah. And then, then you eat like a hot dog. Uh-huh. And you're like, well, this is delicious. Yeah. But I can't taste it because of the bleach that was on my tongue that burned away all my taste buds. <laughs> We're being metaphorical. Okay. Right? So this song, I don't say that the song is like, this song isn't bleach, though. This song is enjoyable. Right. It's a fun. It's bouncy. Hmm. It's got a guy with kind of a, of a high-pitched voice. I cannot confirm or deny any of this. It's, and, I have no recollection of it. And the song's fun. And it's not super long. Mm-hmm. And okay. it comes and goes. Sure. It <laughs> sure does. And here's, the, here's, the, here's my favorite thing about <laughs> yes, this guy. His yep. name's Taylor Hollingsworth. Okay. Wife's name? Kate Taylor. Oh. I've only taken his wife's name. Yeah. Taylor Taylor. Would have been great. Yeah. Would have been great. Okay. This song, we're just we're giving this song the. I mean, I like it a lot. I'm not saying that I'm not I'm not saying this song is like having sandpaper in your tongue 
or having hobnail boots step on your tongue. Yes, no, I, I, I know. I was obviously joking. Yes. This song, but this song is like kind of quirky. It kind of comes from a little bit of a different angle. It's a little bit of a, and also I think like if you haven't heard a group, it sometimes takes you like a while to get used to that group, right? I suppose so. Like you're, if like if I said, oh, I'm going to play this group for you, I have to say, I have to say, Say I made you listen to like a band you re- like Sufjan Stevens. Yes. And you really like them, and I'm like, you know what? Enough Sufjan Stevens. I'm gonna make you listen to this band instead. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes you need to have a way to go from one to the other. Right. Right. Like Jared Leto's Joker. Okay. He's like he's like the palate cleanser. Oh, right. Between Heath Ledger. Yes. And, and Joaquin Phoenix. Right. 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 He's, so you're like, yeah. yeah. Hmm. I getcha. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into, go into your next song, Mayor. Okay. Unless you have so what you're saying say. is oh, yeah. this song is the song that you can focus all your negative energy on. Yeah. So that once you go to the next one, you can be like, oh, this is much better than the last one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Even though I like the song. Yeah. I just know that other people are not, probably not going to agree with me. Right. And but gonna... I mean, also, you're also saying that Taylor Holl- Hollingsworth used to like mail dead animals to his coworkers and stuff. <laughs> no, that... not oh. saying that at all. Oh, okay. I'm not Sorry, saying that at all. not saying that at all. He's not a, he's not a, uh, what do they call those people, those actors? Method actor? He's not a method actor. Right. Yeah. He's not a method musician either. Mm-hmm. He's not a method man. Actually, Method I, man is a I rapper mean, in the Wu-Tang Clan. Method yeah. actor is one word for it. Yeah. Jerk is another word for it. You're calling Taylor Hollingsworth a jerk? You don't even know the guy. I'm calling Jared Leto, Leto a jerk. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a different thing. Yeah. That seems really weird. Um, so, Mary. Yes. Next that's band. Me. Okay. Yep. Next band. Yep. The Crying Shames. Okay. Not to be confused with The Crying Shames. It sounded the same, but all right. This is the Cryon James. Okay. Not to be confused with the Cryon James. Does one have a G and one has, has an, an apostrophe? No, they're both an apostrophe. Oh. The Cryon James. Cryon James. So they're different bands. They're different bands. They, is it spelled the same? They're not spelled the same. I'm trying to tell you that. Is one the? Nope. One's the Cryon Cryon James. Uh huh. They're from America. Okay. They're not the Cryon James who come from England. The Joe Meek produced the Cryon James. So they're spelled differently. Was spelled differently, but they're both an apostrophe at the they're end. They're both of an, an apostrophe. Yeah. Is one just crying shames and the other is the crying shames? Nope. They're both the crying. One is C R A N C R Y A N, the crying shames. Uh, okay. The other one is the C R Y I N apostrophe. So one's spelled shames. correctly and the other one is spelled goofily, <laughs> goofily. incorrectly. Yes, indeed. Okay. So let's listen to uh, the crying shames. Is this the, with an I or an A? This is the for, with an A. Okay. And then was this one from America or from England? This is from America. Okay. This is from their album, A Scratch in the Sky. Okay. It came out in 1968. Mm, okay. And, this and wait, is... did they spell sky with an A at the end? What? Did they spell sky with an A as opposed to a... No. no. Okay. It's not skay. A scratch well, in the skay. I'm just saying that they spelled crying oh, with an A. A, cratch in, a scratch in the ska? Yeah, well, I don't know. These people are breaking all laws of of spelling and the English language, so I'm just, I'm just not sure what what the uh, what they're able, what they're capable of. I know what you mean. Yeah. Sorry. So, wait, what year is this song from? This song's from 1968. For some reason, I always write down the title of this song wrong and think of it as the, in the wrong way. Oh, okay. I always want to call it the little town I used to live in. Okay. That's not what it's called. It's called the town I'd like to go back to. Okay. Interesting. So this, this is called the town I'd like to go back to. Okay. Uh, from 1968. Here we go, everyone. There's a town I'd like to go back to Where the grass is greener still And the roses bloom in the morning As the sun falls over the hill 
children are laughing while throwing stones in the pool. And the waves wash out to the shoreline as the children walk to school. And late in the afternoon, as the sun goes out over the hill, I stop and see a girl who loves me, and I know she always Washes the hillside and the shadows paint a picture of a life I'd like to live and a girl I'd like to give my heart. That was the town I'd like to go back to 
The town I'd like to go back to, okay. yeah, for 1968. Okay. And so, Mary, what did you think of that song? I think you're going to be kind of disappointed in my um, in my reaction to the song. Okay. Um, After the palate cleanser of Taylor Hollingsworth? That's what I'm saying. Mm. So, I liked the beginning of the song. Yeah. Because I am a sucker for your tambourine. Okay. Um, but then I thought that it was kind of okay. Yeah. And then it had this slow part that I didn't like very much. Okay. And then it got too gloomy. And then it was weird at the end. <laughs> Those so, are all the things I love about it. It was... <laughs> It's a, it's a roller coaster of reactions. I love, I love that. Uh, I love everything you said. Well, there. that's because you like roller coasters, and I don't. Well, that's true, I guess. Yeah, I think I like this. So- I mean, I do like songs that have sections. That's for sure. I, mm-hmm. I just love that. Yes. But yeah, I think this song is great. I, um, I, I like that it starts with, uh, yeah, it has that great guitar little riff at the beginning of it, the doodle do 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 that little chiming guitar thing, obviously kind of birdsy, and then. The lyrics, you know, that have that kind of very small town feel to them of someone sort of revisiting a place and, and it's, it feels very real and lived mm-hmm. in. And then and then the... Um, I just want to say one quick thing. And then thing. it has something that I love in every song, which okay. is a, kind of a Spanish style guitar solo. Right. Which that song has, like acoustic guitar. Okay. Spanish okay. style guitar solo, which I think is great right. all the time. Okay. Always. Yes. What are you going to say, Mary? Uh, I just wanted to say that that little guitar riff that you did was just the beginning to... Um, to here comes the sun yeah well i guess i said not the beginning but yeah okay but yeah but yeah i guess i was yeah so that's i just want to say that's that's not accurate it's not accurate the song actually sounds like you just listen to it listeners so you should know that what dad is saying is you know it's apocryphal it's hard to imitate a guitar yeah riff but anyway i get that and then uh and then it has yeah, and then it has that part where it kind of goes into like the freak out, the psychedelic freak out section of the mm, song. Yes. Where they're just kind of playing their instruments and making little noises and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it still has like little elements in it of these little musical elements in it that are so great. Like, like this kind of like kind of coming out of nowhere, these little riffs and stuff that are happening there, just fantastic. And then it ends Thankfully. with that, <laughs> with that little plate, <laughs> that little guitar part that kind of goes do, 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 do. I just love that so much. Mm. This is like it's one of those sort of things. Is like, are they going to bring it back? Are they going to make this, make it all kind of bring it all back around and and you know kind of have a resolution to this craziness? And yes, they do. They successfully have this fantastic end of the song, <laughs> and it's just so great. It's just I think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, there's nothing else with this band that I like as much as the song. I think the really? song is great. I mean, this band had a big hit in the United States with a song called Sugar and Spice. Sugar and spice and all things nice. Doodle do do do. But which was a cover of a song by The Searchers, the British band The oh, Searchers, okay. written by Tony Hatch. Who oh, I thought that you were leaving a gap there so that I could guess. So oh, I was like, written uh, by? No, 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 no. Written by, guess now. <laughs> Tony Hatch. Man, I can't believe you knew that, Mary. <laughs> you said you didn't like this I, song. I know, but I'm a big Tony Hatch fan. Oh, uh, that's a, that's a so, thing. So, you know. Whatever. So I, I mean, I don't like this song, but I do like The Searchers. Well, you know, they did cover that song by Tony Hatch, but I mean, he wrote so many other great songs for, well, you know, that great no, singer that he wrote for, oh, right? Oh, no, it's true, that yeah. great singer. That it, well, you know who I'm thinking of, right? Yeah, no, I, well, I, I know. Me, I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't want to say it because you know I say? just, I want you to say it. Okay. Because <laughs> he wrote so many great songs for Petula Clark. I mean, well, that's the thing. That yeah. There's just so many people that you could have been talking yeah, about because he wrote for so many great singers. Well, so but, I didn't want to well, I mean, this is the one he wrote for. Most, specific decision most and say that Petula Clark was the most well-known. Yeah, yeah. That's not up to me to make that. Well, what's your favorite you know, song that he wrote for her, Mary? Like, you're such a great Tony Hatch. There's, so there's so many songs I can't just pick one, just one song that yeah. Tony Hatch wrote for um, 
Petula Clark? Yeah. I mean, that's... Well, Pet Clark, of course, is what people call you know, her. You know, yeah. Yes, no, I, I like of course I know that. that I, of course I know that, but I just, I, you know, I, I want to be respectful and yeah, call, yeah. call her by her first for, sure, for, sure. for a full name. But what name, was that you know, song I, that you liked so much again? Well, I can't remember you saying <laughs> that. So. I don't know. And it felt like, you almost felt like, for someone who's a huge Tony Hatch fan, it's well, if you're avoiding... Well, of course, avoiding, but I mean, no, I'm not at all. I'm just saying that all of them are my favorite. I can't pick one because I'm such a big fan. Yeah, yeah. You know. Downtown? Fan of Downtown? I am a fan of downtown. I don't. I don't. I mean, don't sleep in the subway. No, I'm. Of? Yes, these are all great songs. Yeah, that of I know. Course. Sure, sure. Yes, you know, no, you love all those songs so yes, much. of course. Yeah, of course. Of course, you love those songs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So let's move on. Put my heart in a box. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know? No. Of course. Let's let's just let's you, move on. You probably would, you'd know if I made up one of those song titles. I, I as well. would. I would. You'd I'd, be like, I would be like, well, hey, Dad, what are you doing? That's why I'm trying to move on to the next topic <laughs> because I don't want my I don't want you to be questioning my authority on. Um, our friend Tony Hatch. This was a band that loved. Uh, this was a band that loved nicknames. Tony Hatch. No, oh. crying the crying shames. Oh right. They love nicknames. There was Tom, the singer Tom Duty. Okay. Toad. Okay. Also Tom, diminutive of Thomas. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Continue. Uh, Jerry Stone. Uh huh. Stonehenge. Okay. Of course. Uh, who played guitar? Dave Purple. Mm hmm. Who's bass and keyboard player? Grape. Okay. Makes sense, right? Yes. Also, again, Dave, diminutive of David. Continue. Then there's a couple guys who didn't get nicknames, but oh. they came from other bands. They came from a couple of different bands gotcha. to form the Crying Shame, so they they weren't like there for it. So, so uh, Jim Fares mm-hmm. on guitar. Jim, and again, diminutive of James. Continue. Dennis Conroy. Okay. Uh, drums, which everyone, of course, knows that uh, Dennis is a diminutive of Frank. Yes, it is. And then uh, Jim Pilster, who was, had the nickname mm-hmm. J.C. Hook. Okay, because he had hooks for hands. He did. He made it really hard to be a musician. He had a left <laughs> left hand was a hook. So you're right. <laughs> kind of a cruel guess. <laughs> you are correct, my dear. And Wait, that is what, why... Did he play? One instrument, which you already said you love. He played the tambourine? He played the tambourine. It is ho- easy. It would be an easy instrument to play. Although if you were trying to play guitar, maybe you could use your hook as a pick. Yeah. To pick the It'd be hard though because you need to go kind of go up and down a little bit. Yeah. yeah, be difficult. But yes, he played the tambourine. Did he really have a hook for a hand? He did. <laughs> I feel nick- like a bad person. His nickname was <laughs> JC Hook, which is crazy. They were like, they were like, hey, like we want you in our band. What's your hook? And yeah. he like <laughs> lifted up his hook hand. <laughs> <laughs> but he gave the band its name because they wanted to get this other guy to play guitar in the band whose name was. His last name was Cryin. Okay. K R E I N, which okay. was pronounced Cryin. Okay. And this guy said, "Well, I can't join your band." And, and J C Hook said, "That's a crying shame." He said, "That's a crying shame." <laughs> but he said it in that way. That's a crying shame. And they went, "Ah, that's the name for the band." And uh, it's but here's the other funny thing in mm-hmm. the annals of sixties um, American music. Yes. He is not the only hook-handed tambourine player. No. Oh. The other guy was a drummer. Oh. Whose name was Multi. How. And he okay. played in a, in a band, and I can't remember the name of the band off the top of my head now. It might have been the Barbarians, but they had this song called Multi, and it was like I have a very important question. And all it is is about well, how he lost his hand. Okay. With the chorus, "Hang on, Multi." <laughs> I have a very important question. Yes. What was this epidemic <laughs> in America in the '60s that resulted in young musicians losing their hands? I, I don't know. Well, you know what? Let's listen to Multi. Okay. Just for the heck of it. Sure. Just for the heck of it. Yeah. I'm going to play the song okay. Multi now. Okay. So people can hear the song yes. Multi. And while that song's playing, I'm going to look up, because I can't quite remember now. This was on Nuggets. Lenny Kay's, uh, the guitarist, Patti Smith Group guitarist, Lenny Kay, before he was in Patti Smith Group, he 
uh, was somehow given the task by Elektra Records of creating this two-disc anthology, hmm. two-record anthology in the early 70s called Nuggets. Yes. And Nuggets... We've talked about Nuggets We've talked about Nuggets before. And, of course, it was later expanded by Rhino into a series of records and then into a big CD box set, a couple of... But this was the original one, and it had this song by by, by uh, Multi, by, mm-hmm. well, by the group. And I just want to look it up. While we're playing the song, I'm going to look it up. I remember the days when things were real bad for me. It was right after my accident when I lost my hand. It seemed like I was all alone with nobody to help me. You know, I almost gave up all my hopes and dreams. But then, then, then something inside me kept telling me, way down inside me, over and over again, to keep going on, yeah, on. better for me now because I found that I love music. So I learned to play the drums and got myself a band. And now we're starting to make it. And if you can make it at something you love, wow, you got it all. So I'm saying this to all of you. All of you who think you'll never make it. All you guys and girls because you're so bad off. Or maybe you think you're a little different or strange. So listen to me now because I've lived through it all. there's just one thing that I need not sympathy and I don't want no pity but a girl a real girl one that really loves me and then I'll be the complete man so I'm going to tell you right now Okay, everyone, we're back. I hope you enjoyed Multi. Uh, so yes, Multi was a minor hit for the band The Barbarian, so I was right in their name. And the the Barbarian song that that I know, Mary, before I knew Multi was uh, "Are You a Boy or Are You a Girl," mm-hmm. which was a song, of course, commenting on was a comment, common comment to guys who had long hair in the '60s. Right. Uh, but here's the interesting thing about Multi is that he had a special prosthetic that allowed him to hold a drumstick in his in his is is left what is left arm from his left arm i guess i'd okay. say but he lost that hand in an explosion oh and how did he lose well, very common in those days for kids to lose their hands in firecrackers firecrackers or dynamite oh. firing caps for instance my uh step-grandfather uh-huh your uh alan, alan. yeah he was a donkey he was as my grandma would call him sometimes for being silly all the time constantly N- nothing as mean as a goofball but she would call him a donkey a donkey every once in a while but uh <laughs> always she was always the way that i I knew of him yes. was Alan, you donkey. That's true. 
something that we like to uh, memory we like to t- take of my grandmother but anyway uh he was missing uh, some fingers on his hand from having oh, really? picked found a firing cap which is oh. what they used to you know, cause dynamite to explode right when he was a kid hmm. uh he was playing around in a near a place where they had dynamite and, and firing caps i guess why 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 were these things just lying around because people were a lot more careless in those days it's crazy to think of now just like the idea but, that yeah, you could just be like walking around and like pick something up, and then it blows. Oh up yeah, and or they just be like an unlocked shed where they would have dynamite yeah. stored and and firing caps and stuff like that. And I think it's kind of those things where you probably knew as a kid that you shouldn't be playing with dynamite, but you didn't know you shouldn't be playing with a firing cap. Yeah. And then, oops. And then, oops! I don't have fingers anymore. Yeah. Or yeah. oops! I don't have a hand. I mean, the things I think of like when I was a kid at Halloween, we would be walking around, mm-hmm. blowing stuff up. Literally blowing stuff up. Yeah. With like seal bombs. These were bombs that were used to kill fish in the in the water. Mm. That's they had that much explosive power. I, like it, I remember like blowing up some, a person's mailbox. I'm not saying I did this. I heard this happen. I don't know when the I don't know when the statute of limitations run out on blowing up people's mailboxes. I don't know. I think it's an act of domestic terrorism. So, but we blew up this person's mailbox off of their house. It was attached to their house. God. It flew off of their house. And into the street. Yeah. Like fling into the air because of the seal bomb. Yeah. So, yeah. And this was an area with large front yards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, yeah, th- if we were careless, it could have been very bad. We were never careless as fire- with fireworks, of course. We always were very careful with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we never, like, shot Roman candles at each other or anything like that. You did do that. Oh, yeah. All the time. All the time. Yeah. Or every, every Halloween, anyway. Dummies. <laughs> You were so lucky to have all your fingers and, <laughs> and your nose. And we would never like fire bottle bottle rockets off with breaking the stick off and just laying them on the ground and just firing them. So they went where we were, did not know where they were going to go after we lit yeah. them. Terrible. Anyway, let's <laughs> move on from your idiocy. I don't, I don't recommend any of these things, by the way. I'm just saying that those are opportunities that existed when I was a kid. Dad is sitting on his hands right now as if to say, I'm very glad I still have my hands. <laughs> yeah, I am actually. <laughs> I'm just thinking about, oh my gosh, the risk that we took. So dumb. <laughs> so dumb but anyway but i mean to be f- oh. in your defense you were yeah. immortal i was immortal yeah you're yeah. Right. yeah i had no concept of of risk or yeah i shouldn't say that i think i had i had a concept of risk but i also had like this uh excitable nature where i would just forget about all possible yeah because you're a kid when i got excited about something young people are immortal yeah. that's what i think when i see like young drivers and they're like driving like really fast and they're like tailgating people and you're like well in their defense they are immortal (laughs) nothing bad will ever happen to them because it hasn't so far you know that's a big part of it all right mayor i'm sorry that you didn't like that song that's all right i loved that song yeah i figured you did that's why it's you know your penultimate song penultimate song yes you're right Uh, i just want to point out Hmm? yes that uh jim fares who did not have a nickname Oh, well, he did because Jim is Dominion of James. Co-wrote most of the songs on this album with a guy named uh, Lenny Curley. Okay, Lenny Dominion of Leonard. Who um, joined the band after a couple of guys left and most uh, Gerald Stone had to leave the band because he was drafted. Mm. Oh, okay. So he had to go fight in the war. And Dave Purple left, but I don't know why. He just left. Mm. And so, yeah, so Jim Ferris and J- Lenny Curley, had, uh, Jim Ferris was already in the group, but Lenny Curley joined and uh, he brought some uh, songwriting ability with him and mm. so they wrote many of the songs on on a scratch in the sky cool it's a very good album well that song's very good anyway all right let's go to the very last song on this on this uh mixtape and that is uh a song by the war and drugs 
This is from 2014 from the album Lost in the Dreams. The song is called Red Eyes. Red Eyes. Let's give it a listen, everyone.
All right, and we're back. So, Mary, what did you think of Red Eyes? Didn't like the song either. No, I didn't. It was okay. Huh. There was something... I don't know what it was. There was something about it that didn't sit right with me. Okay. I think it might have been the drumming, maybe. Okay. I don't know. I'm not sure. I just didn't like it. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Well, unlike you, I like this I like this song. I figured, since it's your final song. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, there's another, there'll be another song by, by them to come, so I'm, I hope Mary is looking forward to that. Uh, yeah. I think this song is great. Uh, what's interesting about this song, though, is if I was, you know, obviously doing a little research on it, reading up about it, and they were citing influences for, for Adam Grandesil, the lead singer, songwriter, guitar player for the band, which when you say band, it's kind of like talking about Tame Impala as a band. It's the band is basically Adam Grandesil in the right. studio doing most of the most of the recording, mm. and then when he tours, he has a band, just like Tame Impala right. is Tame Impala guy by himself in the studio, mm-hmm. um, rec- you know, doing all the doing all the instruments and everything, and then when he tours, right. he has a band like uh, Destroyer. Like Destroyer, well, Destroyer has a band in the studio though. He doesn't just record oh. everything by himself. Okay, like Sufjan Stevens. Yeah, like Sufjan Stevens, exactly. Who, yeah. you know, brings in other people, but mainly does all the instrumentation himself. But never the drums. Yes. And, um, yeah, so he cites influences like Bruce Springsteen, Neil Young and Crazy Horse, mm-hmm. Americana genre mm-hmm. as influence. Also, the shoegaze band, Spaceman 3. Okay. But here's a weird thing. He doesn't say the Dire Straits, or it doesn't say the Dire Straits, who is, like, to me, the most obvious. Honkers. Back? Yeah. No. Some geese. Oh, geese. geese. Uh, the most obvious. I guess the geese are coming back. Ugh, great. I hate them. <laughs> Why? Because they poop everywhere. Yeah. They're super gross. They're pretty gross. And also, we're not allowed to, like, get rid of a few of them. Yeah. Because they're... The national bird. National Oof. bird and all this nonsense. Yeah. They're as bad as America's national bird. The bald eagle? Yeah. They're but not bad. It's just like a trash animal. The bald eagle? Yeah. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. It's a majestic flying bird. No, it's not. It's a predator. It flies down and grabs mice. They live at garbage dumps. Well, they do. They're like crows. They're, they're opportunists. They're just like though. big crows. But they're just that opportunist. They, they are carrion birds, oh, unlike okay. red-tailed hawks. Yeah. Which... Well, hawks are better. They have a nicer cry, too. Mm, yeah. And hawks are very common. I mean, the eagles are very common here, too. But hawks, are red-tailed hawks, are the most common roadside bird yeah. all across North America. But let's not be distracted from our main point here, Mary. Oh, right. Sorry. Which is this song, to me, sounds so much like Dire Straits. Mm. That's not even funny. Yeah. And it doesn't... I list- don't see why it would be, but... Is funny or not funny? I don't see why it would be funny. <laughs> this is not a very funny concept, but that's all right. We can continue. <laughs> but it's, uh, well, I mean, it's funny. Like, if someone going to say, well, it's funny that it's not, it, that the Dire Straits isn't, like, listed as a, right. and I'd be like, you're right. But it's so weird that it's not, that it's not even funny. But I mean, that's not. It's beyond funny. That's not funny. That's interesting. It's crazy. Whereas your point was. It's crazy that. Wasn't. No, it wasn't that it was funny. It's just odd. Odd. Like, it's sure. odd that it's not. But it's not odd. Yeah. It's crazy that okay. it's not listed as a... Okay. I mean, it's so obviously like an influence. Sure. To me, anyway. All right. I'm sure listeners agree. Yeah. And will write in to tell us... Right. ...that they agree. Yes. And Mary? Mm-hmm. That, as I pretend to brush off my... The so dust off my you, hands... You don't have much to say about this band. No, right? they're a pretty new band. What yeah. can you say about a new band? But besides that. that they exist and they're doing stuff right now. And yep. they're touring. And if you want to see them, you can. This this album has two really good songs and the rest of it's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the album, I think it was called... What do they call it? Say the album's called, Mary? Uh, I don't know. Life is... You've it? got your paper right there. Look at it. Uh, Lost in a Dream. Lost, Lost in the Dream. dream. Yeah. There you go. Apparently, Adam Grandesil, who did this album, is a very neurotic musician. Hmm. Spends a lot of time on his albums, mm-hmm. reworking, Real doing Tim this Smith and that. Type. 
What's that? Real Tim Smith type. A real Tim Smith type. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, just yeah. And one of the reasons that he does everything by himself is it just it's easier for him to control the product that way yep. and keeps his keeps his anxiety levels at a at a minimum. You don't I have suppose. to. You don't. There's less very outside variables you have to control for. Yeah. If you work by yourself. Sure. Sure. But it, you know, this song's I think it's a very good song. Mary does. Mary disagrees with me. I thought it was a really good side ender. Before the next before the next mixtape, Mary disagrees with me. I don't think it's a side ender. I think it's an album ender, isn't it? Yeah, it's in it's in the side of the album. Okay. Yeah. All right. But I think it's a good album ender. But maybe you disagree. Well, no, it's it is what it is. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a bad ender yeah. to the um, to the mix. Yeah. I'm just saying it's not a song I particularly enjoyed. Huh. Well, Mary. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. You stop being such a goofball. Oh, turned it around on me, huh? Oh, yeah. Wow, pretty rude. <laughs> pretty rude. And with that, Mary, how about you tell our all our friends out there, mm-hmm. all our friends and friendly friends who yes. listen to this show, yep. well, parked on their couches with a mug of hot chocolate in their hands or maybe hot coffee, if that's how you Okay, so if go. you would like to contact us, you can contact us While they're us eating a plate of cookies. SneakyDragon.com. And enjoying. Find us on Facebook to our at Sneaky Dragon. Nice little talks together. Find us on Twitter at at what? Sorry, you already started? Sneaky I was listening. underscore dragon. Or send us an email at SneakyD at SneakyDragon.com. Um, the reason that these are all Sneaky Dragon based is because of our parent company. Yes. Sneaky Dragon Incorporated. Yeah. Um, which is dad's podcast. I just want to say one thing before we end the show. Yes. I just want to send a huge thank you to Ed, uh-huh. Ed Dragansky. Oh, yeah. Correspondent and listener to the show who, if people will remember a while back, did a drawing of Peanut Duck, which I thought was great. And I asked Ed if he would mind if I did something with it. And he said, or if he wanted to do something with it. And he said, I will gladly undertake that. And it's been a while. He's been working away at this. He's been, as we like to say in Canada, beavering away, beavering away at this. That's not a real thing. We do say that. Nope. Beavering away? No. That's expression. No, it's not. Are you saying I made that up? I'm saying that no one has ever said that in the history of time. I say it all the time. No, you do not. I say beavering away all the time. You do not say that. I do. I've never heard you say that. Well, you don't listen to me then, which is not untypical for a daughter well, and a father. that's fair. Well, but... so this podcast is just me going, huh. <laughs> hmm. When I'm like playing Candy Crush or whatever. Exactly. Don't I know it? And so, <laughs> but yeah, so. I've never played Candy Crush in my life. Well, a variant of Candy Crush is what yeah, you're Yeah, no, say. it's true. I play Holmes games. Yeah. yeah. So then, so yeah, so Ed took this, uh, took the peanut duck and like I say, he's been working away really hard in this and he has, he sent me just the other day some wonderful images of, of a sneaky duck and all, a sneaky, sneaky duck of peanut <laughs> duck. And, uh, and so I still have to dis- discuss with him how, what we're going to do with this stuff, but uh, I'm super excited yeah. Super excited. You saw them, right, Mary? I did. No, they were fantastic. They were so great. Yeah. I really my favorite is the record one. Yeah. That's my favorite one. Me too. Um yeah. I have to write back to Ed and, and, and talk to him about it. But yeah. So I'm really looking forward to these coming out there for everyone. And we will have an announcement very soon. I've just been sort of busy. I had a I was had a bit of a flu last week mm, and mm-hmm. spent a lot of time laying down. Yeah, being lazy. Being lazy. Just and, kidding. And uh being sick. Being sick. And yeah, so I didn't have a lot of time to do research for this show this week. And so that's why it, there's a few things where I was like, I don't know. And but also we're trying to keep it shorter. We're trying to keep it shorter. Because it's Dad's birthday. My birthday. And, and I still have to get Sticky Dragon up today. And we can't record tomorrow because I have to go to the airport. Yeah, yeah. We're going out for dinner tomorrow and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, so we're just, you know, busy lives. Yep. So yeah, everyone, this is the thing. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. Yes. 
Those are coming. Yep. Oh, I also so I want to talk about one quick other thing that's exciting. Oh, okay, sure. Which is that I entered a contest yeah. through Paint Penguin uh, Random House okay. books. Yeah. To see a screening of Emma. And how did you win this? How would you win this contest? Like, what would you do? What did you have to do to enter it? Just, to answer questions? No, no, I just put in my email. Oh. And I just entered it, and yeah. you could win um, two tickets to see it at the pre premiere. Yeah. In Vancouver or in Toronto. Yeah. And also win a tote bag with stuff to see Emma. Yeah. The new um, movie based on Jane Austen's Emma, and yeah. I won. Wow. So that's, that's super exciting. So I won two tickets and it's actually, I thought it was just to see it, yeah. but it's actually like the pre-premiere before it's actually in theaters anywhere. Oh. And, um, and it's like, uh, it's going to be all the like members of the press yeah. who were there in Vancouver wow. and stuff. So that's pretty exciting. So you remember going to this? I guess so. I don't know. I have to figure that out. She was the first one to say yes. I know. I, I was going to talk to you guys about it because I realized, because I was like, oh, I guess we'll have to get another ticket. And then I was looking and it was like, oh, no, it's not in theaters for like okay. another couple of weeks okay. or something. So uh, we'll figure it out. Makes more sense for me to go, I guess, because I'm a Jane Austen nut. But... And it's your birthday week. But well, I'll talk to mom. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yep. Okay. That's fine. Either either way, I'm fine. Yes, obviously. I know. So, yeah, well, everyone. But I just wanted to say that because I never win anything. Oh, that's really good. I've never good won a contest there. before yeah. in my whole entire life. Congratulations. I don't think. Here. And fist, fist bump. Fist bump. Woo. <laughs> good so, for you. Yep. Yeah, it's hard to win contests. Some people have seemed very lucky that yes. way. And I, I'm sort of the same as you. I have won a few things, but mine are always through skillfully answering a question. Mm, not just putting your name in randomly. Not just putting my name in randomly, but there great for you. Actually, at the um, the retirement community that I work at, there was a woman who was living there who had won the lottery twice. Wow. I know. That's rare. Yes, it is. Did she win a corner store? I, that's what I said. And they said no. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Just so people know that here in BC, we had a bit of a scandal where corner store owners were scamming winners, lottery winners out of their tickets by pretending they didn't win. Yes. Which is a terrible thing to do. So we probably shouldn't be talking about it. But still, was she? No. Honestly won too. I only know one other person who did that, who did it honestly. And that's the uh, sandwich Nazi in Port Kells who makes ginormous oh, submarine yes. sandwiches for people. Yes. Won the lottery twice and still works in a deli making uh, sandwiches for people. Yes, and his sandwiches are very good. Yeah. But he is a big time weirdo. He is a big time weirdo. Yes. He has a running monologue the whole time you're in the store. Yeah. Usually not family friendly. Nope. Not even any anyone friendly yes. really. And uh, But it's a testament to how good his sandwiches are that people still go. Yeah. I'll mean, be, to be fair, it's mostly guys who work in the area. Yeah. So, like, guys could care less. Yeah, because it, it is in an, in an industrial area. It's an industrial area, yeah. So, it's not like you have a lot of um, families going in there. But strangely, next door to an Anglican church. Is it? Yeah. Hmm, interesting. But anyway, that's the end of the show. I think we've drawn this out long enough. Yeah. Like all anxiety sufferers, we cannot say goodbye. It's true. But. We Bye. Was... That was easy. Yeah, you did that kind of simply. Yeah. Hmm. Your turn. Just, just one word. You just say it. Just say the word bye. Goodbye. Bye for now. See you later. Talk to you soon. Any of those are... No, you're not? Okay. Well, all right. I'll say it for him. Dad says bye. He's too too uncomfortable to to do this. He's biting his nails right now. Okay, bye everyone. See you in two weeks. In a a fortnight. Bye week. No. (laughs) No.